Okay, let's try to settle this planet now. Cotton, that's a really bad idea. The atmosphere is nothing but helium, so we'll sound like a bunch of chipmunks. Fine! Here goes another three months of travel. What about this one? Sorry, Captain. We were fired on by about 30 giant insects on the surface. I don't think it'll work. Fine! Here goes another six months. What about this planet? Uh, you sure, Captain? The surface is covered in volcanic eruptions and magma. That's it! The next planet we find we're landing on. I'm tired of this. Okay, Captain. Here we go. I take that back, Captain. I like not being crushed by the gravity better than this. <laughs> hey, Paisanos, it's the Backtrack Brothers Super Show! We're the Backtrack Brothers, and old school our games. We're not like the others. You get all the fame. If you're back left in trouble, you can call us in the double. We're more retro than the others. You'll be hooked on the brothers. You're hooked on the brothers. For a treat, so hang on to your seat. Get ready for adventure from our features of week. Come consoles, computers, handhelds, and the others. Listen to our show, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the RPG Backtrack, where we talk about computer and console role-playing games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack. OMG, this is episode 198. What's our title, Mike? First Starflight I See Tonight. There you go. First Starflight I see tonight. We are talking about Starflight 1 and 2. We're talking about other games in our other segments as well. We got so much to talk about, and we got a couple of people to help us talk about them. Let's see here. What do we have here? We have a carpenter. Yeah. yeah. Hey, that, that, that is actually my name. No, no. I didn't say that. I didn't say that was your name. I said you are a carpenter. You're a carpenter named Lashua Marpenter. I yeah, believe whatever. Phil is trying to say that you, in fact, are owed royalties every time a Carpenter song is played. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, well, where are my checks at then? Royalties. <laughs> I, I can use those. <laughs> you will have to get in touch with whichever music company holds the rights to the Carpenter's catalog, and I'm sure that company will be very, very eager to hand over money. <laughs> that sounds like too many lawyers. I'll pass. <laughs> I am afraid that I know of no way that does not involve lawyers to get your rightfully proclaimed and deeded money. Sorry. Then we have we have new guy. Wasn't his name like <laughs> wasn't his name like Ash Ketchum or Matt Ketchum or something like that? Matt Ketchum all. What? Yeah. Oh, I wasn't on the Pokemon episode. Sorry. I, I don't know. I can't keep track of the new guys. Pretty sure his <laughs> his real name is Matt Ketchum. Close enough. Close enough. We'll just go with that. Yay. So we have new guy Match Ketchum, and these two, I'm glad they're here because we're talking about Starflight 1 and 2, and as much as I'm a huge fan of PC RPGs from the way back when, uh, I talk about them nonstop, 
Uh, I haven't actually played these two games, so I'm super excited to hear what they have to say about them. Bill, hmm. I thought you were a veteran of everything PC gaming related. I, you know, I try, but there's just so much out there. I'm only human, Mike. I know it's hard to believe, but only so much time. I'm too busy playing Gold Box you know, games. You know, I recall that you didn't have much to say when we talked about the Deus Ex series. Hmm, those are those are too fat modern for me. <laughs> Those are like, aren't they like, I don't know, 2000-ish? Yeah, but they're also PC. Eh, and they're like oh, first sorry, person. Oh, I'm sorry, you can play the PS2 version. Which they're not real load. RPGs. Well, you did, You hadn't even played the first six Wizardries. I remember we went into this. I looked at them. I was too busy playing Goldbox. <laughs> <laughs> and you hadn't played the first seven Ultimas, I think. I loaded like Ultima 3 up once. Uh, and got it running, and then I saw it wasn't Goldbox, and I went back to Goldbox. Ow. But wait, Ultima 3 came out before Goldbox. It still wasn't Goldbox. You knew Goldbox was coming, so you just <laughs> reserved all of your time in advance? Well, yeah. You were a very forward-thinking child. I wasn't going to settle for a subpar experience just because it was 1983. <laughs> well, what about the E.T. game? Oh Andy my gosh, the E.T. E. game. Oh my gosh, what a pile of shit that was. <laughs> Holy shit, I played that too. That's a pretty embarrassing that I played that and not Starflight, huh? Totally. Nah, totally. you know. Or Ultima you 3, or Ultima 4, or uh, Ultima 5. So the funny thing was, I didn't play a lot of PC RPGs back in those days because my parents didn't know to buy them uh, for me. Uh, you know, So I got, I got some weird things like Y-Barm, which... No one's ever played uh, Y-Barn before, and I've talked about it on the show before, but it's just one of those really rare and little-known titles. I only know about the Goldbox games because my friend had them on the Commodore 64, so I kept begging and begging by my parents to get get it for me on the PC. So I eventually got those, but yeah, I didn't get a whole lot outside of that. I did play one of the later Wizardry games on the Nintendo because it got it like at a yard sale or something, but yeah, I didn't get the real... I did actually get a PC Wizardry game until like 7. <laughs> oh, man. Str- strangely, this is one of the few like early RPGs that I actually did play as a kid. Well, I'm super Not excited. Something I picked up later. <laughs> I am super excited to hear about it because I love I love this kind of history stuff. So we're just going to cut right to the chase. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with our main event. So hold on tight. We're about to hit light speed.
And this is the main event where we take a game or a series of game and we dive into all the juicy entrails. Not that there's that many when we start talking about uh, PC games from the 1980s where everything had to fit on discs that were measured in kilobytes. Uh, but today we are talking about Starfleet. We are talking about a game that is on the five and a copy instead of the later three and a half floor. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think oh, those, yeah. those were 384K, I believe, or maybe I'm thinking God, of the double density. Like yeah, maybe I'm thinking of the double density ones. Oh, we're talking this about. actually flopped. Yeah, we're talking about uh, <laughs> Star. Yeah, it was really bad when you accidentally bent one. Oh, there went your whole game. Oh, you, you remember how you had to like cut out the little edge on it for the security protection oh, security thing? Guard. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ah, game, you know, PC gaming in the 80s. Fun times. Exactly. Uh, so this is a star. We'll talk about the first one. Uh, Starflight, developed by Binary Systems, published by Electronic Arts. Designed by Greg Johnson back in the day where games were designed by one person. This was released on the IBM PC on August 15th, 1986, and later came out on a variety of other systems, including Genesis. Uh, this is a space trading and combat simulator role-playing single-player game. Well, since it came out on Genesis from EA, it had one of those strange EA cart designs. Oh yeah, the, the ghetto tall carts? Yeah, with the, the, that big yellow stretch that just, they look different than anything else on the Genesis. And I know I have no idea why EA went with that design to distinguish its stuff. Wasn't that, didn't they have something to do with, like, licensing that, like, Sega had, like, would lit companies, I forget, there were, like, you could have, like, slightly different royalty rates to Sega than, as opposed to Nintendo. There was something to do with that that had to do with the uh, cart design. What? I think EA helped produce this. That's why it ended up coming out on the EA. And they had a kind of a partnership with Sega early on. Yeah. Well, I know that's part of the reason why EA, like, went over to Sega from Nintendo was that, like, the, the licensing rates on Sega Genesis were lower than the SNES. That's why we got all the cool uh, uh, sports games on uh, Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo was left without. But that that's nothing to do with Starflight. <laughs> Oh, man, Starflight. This is one of the first... Well, I had a Commodore 64 before this, but we my, my, my dad got a PC when I was like six years old, and this was one of the very first games I got for it. And so th- this is 1986, yeah, old-time PCs. Um, we only had a black-and-white monitor. You know, the thing was probably like 10 inches square. <laughs> this game, like I was playing it, I was like six years old, and... This game, from I remember when I was a little kid, this was basically um, Star Trek in game form. Mm-hmm. Because this game is, it, it, it is very much like a sandbox, a very early instance of a sandbox game. Like you start out, you're in a spaceport, and you get to recruit a, recruit a crew, and you, you, and they give you a ship, and then you go out, and you can go anywhere. And being a game from 1986, especially if you just start out playing the game, there is very little story given. It's just kind of like, there's a bit more of a background in the, uh, like, very common for games of that time. They would give you a bit of background in the instruction manuals. Um, Like, I think this is set, oh, let me pull up the instruction manual real quick. It's uh, 4620. It's... 
Earth has long since gone off to space, formed an empire, the empire collapsed. Um, things collapsed in such a, and have collapsed for so long that like basically people had even forgotten about uh, space flight. And now they're kind of rediscovering space flight and rediscovering artifacts from that earlier golden age. So you're given a spacecraft and they tell you to go out and find stuff, basically. And the company that gives you, it's very much a company that gives you your spacecraft, like you have to be self-sufficient. They give you the craft, they give you some fuel, but you have to go out and find things. And it's done in a way where you're having to, um, a, a big part of the loop of the game is mining. So you'll go to a planet, you'll have your science officer kind of like examine the planet and you'll give you a sense of what the planet is like and then you'll land on it and you have a uh, <clears throat> you have once you land on the planet you have your little excavate what do they even call it the excavation craft where you you wow. you land with your main ship and then you have the secondary craft that you can wander around the planet on it's like a little rover a little tank that you're it, it looks like a the the quintessential like um, alien. Yeah, you're a train vehicle. <laughs> no, it really is what they call your train vehicle. Okay, but it very much like on the 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 graphics from 1986. It kind of looks like a uh, at least in the original PC version, it looks like an alien spacecraft with the the little or almost like a Jetsons car, I guess I should say. You know, where it's got the bulb over the top and then just a disc underneath. So you land on the planet, you wander around until you find mineable materials, you you mine them, you you fill up your cargo hold, you take it back, and then you use that to upgrade both your ship and your crew. And that kind of becomes the main loop of the game. Um, What makes the game kind of interesting and unique is that, like, you know, besides the fact that you can go anywhere, there's also, like, aliens as you... a, A lot of the story in this game is told in a very hmm, non-linear fashion. Like, you'll stumble across a lot of it. They'll, they'll give you hints on where you need to go. Um, every time you go to the main spaceport in the game, it gives you, um, like, there's basically, like, a notice board. <laughs> and it will tell I, you, like, hmm? Oh, yes, I, I remember that notice board. That is a, I was like, oh, not, not later, but, yeah, that was a... Very indirect information. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, but nothing in this game is going to have like a big arrow pointing you on where to go. Like you'll go to the hey, weird things are happening at one fifteen by eighty six. Maybe someone should go check it out. <laughs> and that's that's it. You know. Like, it will just pass right by if you don't pay attention. That's another thing. This is a 1986 game. There is no journal to kind of tell you, like, what's going on (laughs) or help you keep track of stuff. It left a lot of hints and clues, and you just had to hopefully write down everything that you see. Uh, Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm still stunned I played this game and got as far as I did back when I was, like, six or seven years old because I'm playing it again. That, that, that's another thing about this game. It is extremely unfriendly to <laughs> to new players. Um, oh, yes. I, I think you even have a story about it, Matt. <laughs> oh, I've got my whole list. I, I think I shared 
what is it, the Dumb Ways to Die song with y'all a couple weeks ago, and I've got a whole list of all the ways I've this game. <laughs> I really went into it right away with just, I was like, yeah, I see the instruction manuals, and I choose to reject them. So I actually started with the second one, which gameplay-wise, every way I died is a way I could have died in the first one, and sometimes did. But, yeah, I mean, I ran out of fuel on the planet. I was like, oh, yeah, I can make it back. Nope. I ran out of fuel just in the middle of the galaxy. Like, whoops, didn't budget that <laughs> from thirteen comma fifteen to ninety seven comma one hundred one very well um, on planets. I got squished. <laughs> I, think I got squished twice. I really thought I had read it, learned my lesson the first time. I did not. I went back with a better science officer. I'm like, okay, this guy's going to be able to tell me what the gravity is. And I read the number right above it because, you know, it's all there in 1980s font and whatever. And Yeah, it's just I text. <laughs> and I got drawn to the wrong number and I got switched again. Yeah, that's one of the things, like, all your individual characters that you recruit, your science officer, it, it's very much based off of Star Trek. So you have a captain, you have a science officer, you have communications. And... At the starport, you just use your money that you get from selling all the the random crap you pick up off mining the planet, and you use that to upgrade the different characters' abilities. And so the the higher level your science officer is, the better he will be at your job. So when you when you do a scan of a planet and you have like a low level science officer, like almost all of the information will just be blank. Or if you talk to a uh, an alien, if you, when you run into aliens, as as you often do in this game, and you start trying to communicate with them, if you have like a low level communication officer, like eighty percent of the words will just be gibberish, and you only get like every tenth word, and you're trying to communicate and say, uh, yes, no. Um, <laughs> I thought that was actually really well done. That was actually really cool. Yeah, that was really cool where you can just kind of like stumble into pissing them off and end up in a firefight with them. Uh, yeah, you, reading like one out of every ten words, I was like, I've got no clue. And the fact that it was all jumbled and everything, at, at first I was like, is this a glitch or something? And because I, I didn't play the games ages ago, I played them in the past couple months. Um, and it, it was really fun thinking back to games I did play like this when I was young. And that was... It was some experience, and I was like, I'll just... I kept talking, and I'm like, why can't I understand them? And, yeah, really going back and improving that skill, I was like, oh, that's what they were trying to say. No wonder they blew me out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they did a pretty good job, you know, for a game that was made in a pretty good job of having all these different alien races and having different ones that had, you know, some of them would be very aggressive. Some of them would be looking... Like, one of the things you do when you uh, set up your crew, you have the ability to pick, what is it? Of course, there are humans, but there's, like, an insect race, the Velox. There's, like, this reptile race, the Thren. There's, you can have an android. You can have plant-based um, uh, aliens. And, like, some of the different aliens will be looking for certain members of your crew to be, like, the same race or, you know, that you have, like, a different variety on your crew, and they'll and interact differently with you if you do or you don't. <laughs> there's all those weird little things that they buried in it. Yeah, there, there's yeah, a, lot of, a, certain, a lot in a really early game here. I think if you had, like, a certain character in a certain uh, role and you encountered the right alien, they would be hostile, they'd be scared of them. I think <laughs> the reptiles killed the plant people, right? 
I think so, yeah. I remember my Genesis manual that I when I rented it and saw where it was kind of gruesome where it shows like the vampires are like stealing off with like a baby uh a baby plant thing or Wow. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that from the PC manual. <laughs> oh geez. Like one thing before I forget about it, one thing I have to about, like, because it was early, you know, like one of the early instances of DRM that this game had, where instead of, um, well, I guess a lot of PCs games would do this from later on, where where you would have like, oh, you got to go to page eighty six of a manual and pick out like a certain word. Well, this game instead it gave you this uh, wheel. And it had like three different circles, and you would have to like it would every single time you'd leave the spaceport, you would have to um, match up. Like it would give you three different things. You'd have to match up and then type in a code. And if you didn't do it, like it, it wouldn't actually stop you. But what would happen is that the space police would come and chase you down, and they would have like these really high level ships blow you up. <laughs> In other words, you could play the game, you could see what it was like, but you weren't going very far. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Through that, I actually had to read through the uh, GOG message boards, because when I started playing them, I was like, I got no clue what it's talking about here. And the first one, it had the wheel, but it's just like a picture of the wheel, so I don't know if you can really read it well. And the second one was asking about colored stars at certain locations, and I was like looking at it, I'm like, I don't get this. And finally buried somewhere, I was like, oh yeah, GOG did away with that. It's still in the game, but they like deleted the space police. You can type in in whatever number you want and it'll be like, okay, you sure you want to go with that answer? And I was like, there's never any consequence for it because that's how they got rid of the DRM for GOG was delete whatever code was there for the space police. (laughs) Around with uh, no worries. I tried to upload a picture in our chat of what I was talking about, and Discord says one of you guys has requested Discord block any message messages that deemed to be explicit, and this was deemed to be explicit. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! It'll allow us to post pictures. No, okay, no, it's messed up. Say, <laughs> wait a minute. There's been some other photos in this uh, thread here. Yeah, tell me that again. <laughs> wow. Let's see. You could try Slack. Surely Slack doesn't have any of those things. <laughs> Imagine that would, no. That, that's pretty funny, though. Go to page 95 of 145. 95. Yeah, I oh, just... good gosh. Wow, that's a lot that's of... That's the Genesis manual. That, that thing must have been just brutal. It was, and I remember oh, wow. it kind of tells you what to do to, like, to, like, the journal entry of the other group that you... But it's got sketches and pictures of all the different alien races, and 95 is the uh, reptile one. Oh, yeah, he's running off with a little baby. Oh, that's not a severed head. Holy cow. There's there's your (laughs) offensive. There it is. I was asking myself, what's so offensive? Now I see it. Yeah, now I see the body and blood pouring out of its neck. Oh, man. (laughs) It's great. I love this artwork. It's definitely very 80s vibe to it. It's awesome. Color seems, yeah. Yeah. That head's like a rainbow head, too. I really like the uh, picture of the octopus ones on a couple 98, 99. That's cool. There's in the, uh, there's actually a lot of pictures in the PC guides. I I spent a lot of time going through that. They did a lot of little artwork for that game. 
I think pretty much all the aliens had. Here is the second one, not the first. Okay, well, maybe. The, the the person who was the main designer of the uh, toe jam and hello hello yeah oh, got a break up there I heard toe jam yes and... that was the last thing I heard toe jam and Earl games the the same designer who did the, this game also did the toe jam and Earl games it was the second book like the last ten pages were just like pictures of all the different. I, I'm looking at these, and all of them are ringing a bell right away. All the different things you would encounter on planets, and yeah, there are some pretty far out uh, pictures here. No, nothing disgusting, but just like them and what they looked like, and which was all just left up to text and a few pixels in the other. I am flipping through the Genesis manual, and I am so jealous of which more there is that kind of show you which you know which ways to go. Yeah, it kind of gives you. It's almost like a little mini strategy guide. Yeah. But it's in the guise of, like, telling the story of the past adventurers that you follow. Which kind of fits into, actually, the story of the game. It, the, part of the, part of the story in this, they had, uh, I mean, that was in the PC manual, where they had sent out, you're like the second wave of ships they sent out, and, uh, like, they sent out this huge wave of ships to explore, like, five years earlier, and only... Out of like the twenty or thirty they sent out, only two came back, and that is one of the things you find as you explore the uh, explore the that well not the entire universe but the corner of the galaxy you're in is you'll find some of the like the remnants of some of those other ships that ended up kind of like meeting bad ends. <laughs> so so like that's part of how the story gets told, and also as you wander around the uh, galaxy, you'll also artifact like. Like I said earlier, um, part of the game is that, you know, Earth, you know, humans on Earth had built up a huge empire and then it had kind of collapsed. And so you can find artifacts from the earlier, you know, like bits of the, you know, you can find evidence of the earlier civilization that gives you little tidbits about the backstory and also, you know, the things that are going on in the game. Mm-hmm. But I, a lot of, oh, oh yeah, right. go ahead. I, I never found so much. I, I, not playing this a long time ago, I put five to ten hours into these games. Um, man, I, I couldn't even get to that. It was just such a survival. <laughs> I mean, that amount of time was just, like I said, I mean, I've died 12 different ways, but, uh, you know, so much was put into survival and making money um, just to get to that kind of thing. I did, and then I, I, I think in the first one, I went to some of the ruins and snippet of like one line mm-hmm. and i and i know i was reading through the manual and i know there are those artifacts there but i never found any in that and, and then again i i explored the planets really close to me i never built up enough to go exploring there was it, it's huge yeah i mean for for a game that was made in 1986 it has like 500 different planets that you can go to in the entire game it, it is a crazy heat. yeah i was reading that it's Oh. It is absolutely crazy uh, in a game in a game that would fit in 128k of RAM. <laughs> 270 star systems, total planets. It's No Man's Sky. And- it, it, the, I mean, that is the thing about playing this game. There is, I think I was <laughs> saying this to you, where like I don't know that it's you know in a modern sense a good game, but it's a really interesting game. Like well, you play this, by it. yeah. 
Like, you play this and you see stuff like No Man's Sky or FTL or even Mass Effect. I mean, I remember when I started playing Mass Effect, I'm like, holy cow, this is like a modern interpretation of Starflight. It had, you know, especially the first Mass Effect where you were, so much of it was landing on the planet with the Mako and wandering around and finding minerals and fighting a few aliens. I'm like, holy cow, they made like a modern version of Starflight. I think even, uh, God, Casey Hudson um, even talked talked about, like, Starflight was one of the major influences for the original Mass Effect series. So, oh, man, I, 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 I'm sorry. I got the, the big, deep plot. Like, in Starflight, as you're going along, they start... Um, ba- basically, you find out that the star system that the humans are now living around, I believe it's called Arth, like, the, there's something strange going on with the star, and that it's apparently going to go nova in i think it's something like 20 years so you need to find you need to find out what's what, what's causing that and find a new place for people for humanity to live so that becomes part of your thing is like trying to find planets that would be you know colonizable and then also you're trying to um as you keep playing the game you start finding these other star systems that are also going nova and so the the plot kind of develops that like oh some this isn't just you know like oh the system the, this star is going nova like someone is causing the the star to go nova and so as you keep playing the game you discover like that there is this uh race of aliens that is causing that that's able to do something that's causing the stars to go nova and then you have to like track down these ancient artifacts that you can use to uh, basically take on this alien's home planet. Like, you have to basically uh, discover, like, a cloaking device, and then you have to uh, uh, find this artifact. I forget what it was called, like, the Black Egg or something like that that would basically could be able to blow up their planet, and you had to find, like, this one other artifact that could uh, basically uh, keep the... Like this enemy race was had the ability to like take over your ship, and so you had to get this sort of like jamming artifact so that you could land on the planet and drop the bomb so that you could blow up the the alien planet. So there was like this long list of things that you had to do, and if you tried to go to that last alien planet without having all of them, you would just you know die. Game over. <laughs> oh, I saw that screen. A time limit in place where if you actually take too galaxy then uh the the novas will start happening and you can't stop them anymore oh yeah like that's another thing i left out like everything in the game so the the clock is constantly running no matter what and so long you know i think there is pause you know you can hit the escape key and pause but otherwise the clock just keeps running enemies are moving around like i I was like playing this again like a couple weeks ago I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, something happened. I'm kind of like taking, writing down a note. And then I look back up and this alien is attacking my crew and like half of them are dead. And I'm like, shit, like, no, no, get away, attack. I was, yeah, I was blown away by that real time. Yeah, I was doing the same thing. The first time I encountered aliens on the planets, I was like, well, whatever, I'll just, you know, I'm pressing my arrow key to slowly move closer and closer pick the command to shoot and then all of a sudden it's shooting back at me <laughs> and or i was stunning it to try and capture it stun them and then capture it and i stunned it and i was like okay and i was maybe three spots away and 
I moved two spots closer and I was going through the menu trying to capture it. And all of a sudden it's unstunned and coming at me and fighting me again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what, what the heck? I, I, I kind of assumed it would be turn-based and it's not. It's, yeah, it's always going. The space combat too. I was, if you let go too long. I mean, it's just kind of crazy what they were able to do. But yeah, like everything is happening in real time. The, the, and because of that, like you said, like every, I think, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was like 20 years. But yeah, you do kind of have like a time limit to uh, to be able to finish it because everything, every that clock just keeps moving. And it's the same thing with those notices that you're getting doled out. I mean, they're done on, on a clock as well. So that's where it's kind of like trying to push the plot forward every so often. So it's trying to give you like breadcrumbs every so often in case you've gotten lost. I don't know how well that worked, but yeah, that's what it was trying for. This is definitely a game. You know, if I sat down and tried to beat this, I, it wouldn't, no matter how many times I think I saved and reset or something, I would not do it in one go through. No. A few times um, and take notes and be like, all right, next time I need to go to this coordinate early. And mm-hmm. next time I need to do this. Because I I can see myself running out of time easily. I mean, I went through a couple game years and really accomplished nothing. <laughs> More than once. More than once. And I was like, oh, okay. I, and knowing that I'm going to run out of time now, I'm like, oh, geez, I would never have beat that on that save, no matter how many times I did it. Yeah, there's definitely, like, like I said, it's definitely old school in that sense, where it's a game where you need to have a pad of paper with you where you can write things down and be like, okay, I need to go to this planet. It actually has lots of platinum and palladium and really expensive minerals that I can, you know, make a ton of money off of. Or this one's got um, lots of artifacts that I can use and sell for a lot of money. And, mm-hmm. you know, but there are tons of planets you can go to that are just, like, crap. <laughs> oh, yeah, I found all of them. <laughs> you know what really reminds the the best way I can... Explain this game and they're related would be the original Fallout where you're trying to find the one mm-hmm. ship in a certain amount of time. And it kind of just says, okay, here you go. And you kind of can do whatever you want. It's kind of very open-ended just like that, but you have an end goal you want to accomplish. How you get there, it's kind of up to you. Now there is certain things you have to get. And I think if you know what you're doing, you can actually go and beat the game really quick. Mm-hmm. It's really about, okay, getting a ship, go mine some planets. You're going to do lots of mining, exploring planets. So mine, mine, mine. Uh, get some money, build your ship up, and then you're done with the mining sequence of the game. Then it's basically fly around, find these artifacts. It's kind of become a, a space scavenger hunt and adventure. And then you get these artifacts, and then you go solve the problem. So if you know where to go ahead of time, and you can just fly right to it, you can probably beat this in a matter of like 30 minutes to an hour. But a first-time player who's really experiencing everything and doing the full adventure, it's, it's meant to be an exploration to adventure, to expo- you know, to investigate new worlds and see what you, you know, can find and harvest. You got to find new colonization spots. You got to harvest creatures and all that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the, where you get the meat and bones. Of- and I could see that. I mean, back in the eighties, you're not buying a new game. I didn't have backlogs back then. You know, you bought a game like this and that was it for the next three or four months. You sat down and played it a little bit here and a little bit there and kept taking notes on it. I, I swear the original Dragon Quest, it took me like a month to beat, and I can't imagine that now. It's a 10-hour game's tops. At this game, I could see it the same way. I mean, it would have just taken and, and this so game, the knowledge to do it. Yeah. And I mean, this game, even though it's 1986, like it, 
for me, it does kind of have almost like an Elder Scrolls kind of feel where you are just one, where, you know, you have that loose central story, but it totally will let you go in whatever direction and do whatever you want to. Like, you can ignore that. You can go off and mine and build up your ship and turn it into a Star Trek simulator if you so desire. <laughs> I did. A couple of my ships were named Enterprise and I had the, <laughs> had the whole crew. Crew? The backtrack crew died. Did you kill us all? Horrible, horrible. <laughs> I'm not sure Which... that makes you a very good captain. <laughs> oh, no. Phil was the captain. Uh, oh, oh, I see. May have played some role in it. Once once Kirk and Picard started uh, being sprinkled in, things got a little bit better. Then I read the instruction manual and things got way better. That's one sizable manual. Make it so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the manual's huge. So the, at least I, I didn't play the PC version like you guys. I played the old the Genesis version and I used to rent it and play it. And I was like, wow, this is so different than any other game that, that's really out there. It was It's really unique, and it's a really cool game that no one really knew about. Did it have a save function on Genesis? Yes. Okay. I know a lot of devel- a lot of publishers would just cheap out and not include a battery on a lot of cartridges because we could save a few bucks. Oh, and it was so obscure that I would rent it, play it, and then, you know, a few weeks, months later, I'd go back and rent it, and my save was still there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I never knew of anyone else who played this game when I was a kid. Yeah, just my blockbuster or whatever mom-pop rental place that I used to go to back when I was a kid just happened to have it. I've been looking at the graphics as we've been talking here about the Genesis version. I was like... They did update the graphics for it. Uh, the, so they, it's an updated graphics. You have, I think, your little train vehicle has more upgrades on it than the PC one, and there's a few other little things. However... There's not as many star systems and places to go, so it's a smaller overall game. Hmm. Not not entirely a bad thing with a... It's more streamlined, but better looking. PGA planets. Yeah. It, it certainly looks much better than the PC, the original PC version. Um, did, did they update... Uh, like, the one thing that, that's tough to go back to with Starflight on the PC version is just, like, how menu-based it is. Like, every single time you want to mine something, you have to move your craft right up next to it and then kind of physically go over into the menu that has the cargo and, and, you know, physically basically select on it. Like, yes, I want to put this on my ship. And, and that, that's how you have to do it for oh, every wow. single thing. Like, yeah. Did they streamline that for the Genesis? Yeah, the Genesis, you run your little craft around and you pull up your little scan, you know, where it kind of shows the well, Genesis version. It showed the scan and it showed like, kind of splotchy pink colorations on the map. And that's where your scan is finding minerals. Once you drive your little thing over there where you scanned it and you just start hitting B and it's like, it makes this little satisfying getting mining noise nit, 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 until your thing fills up. <laughs> and then you fill up your little inventory and then you drive your, your ATV back to your ship and then you fly off. And you go ahead and sell it and you come back and you do it again. You go and sell it and you come back and do it again. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, that, yeah, the menu base. I actually, I, I guess I played it long enough. I was actually surprised with myself, like muscle memory going through that. Mm-hmm. Like, boom, 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 boom. I was surprised after a few hours. I was like, okay, this isn't horrible, but my goodness. Yeah, this is before mice, basically. So it's all keyboard oh, yeah. base. <laughs> Just touch of the B button, mines. Oh, man. <laughs> You're making me jealous. <laughs> 
myself a dollar fifty and just emulated this. Yeah, that's what, yeah, just try it, try it out. Uh, I mean, you can't get it anywhere else legally on the Genesis, so uh, emulating it, just some of the differences. How to... I'm just looking at the one picture, and I'm like, that is those graphics are so different than the ones. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of just um, uh, like how would you even describe the graphics of it? Like splot colored splotches. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, planets had four colors total? Yeah, Five, something maybe? like that. That's it. That's it. The whole planet. <laughs> I still wouldn't not, even not just call one planet. Every planet. All 800 mm-hmm. of them. The Genesis version, I would say, still didn't look great compared to other Genesis games. It was still kind of eh. But it, yeah. it, it got the job done, but it definitely looks better. than the. It was five years later, too. And yeah, yeah. During the late 80s, that was a huge leap. Mm-hmm. It really was. I mean, like, like I said, when I played, I played black and white, so I had no colors. It was just, you know, gradations of gray. Oh, wow. <laughs> did, did you guys want to talk about any differences with the second game? Whew. Like, I, I, I'll i say I had no clue the second game even existed until GOG. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's just a failure on my part or if it wasn't advertised or, you know, like, nineteen. I think it came out in 1989 and... That was well pre-internet and finding out about, especially PC games. You know, back then, like, like you could find NES games if you went to KB or Toys R Us, but finding PC games in the late 80s was always a bit trickier and more haphazard. You had to go to the computer store, and who the heck knows if the guy running the computer store would actually, you know, what he would decide to buy and have in there. So, like, I never even knew it existed, but yeah, playing the GOG version, the gameplay is almost identical. They made a handful of, like, little tweaks to the gameplay, but it's basically the same thing, and they did a slightly different story. But I think you even played more than I have, Matt. This is the one I sunk, like, maybe about eight hours into. This one I played quite a bit, and I will say, this I I died way more in this (laughs) because... It's called, um, what is it, Starflight 2, Trade Routes of the Cloud Nebula. What a terrible title. (laughs) Well, you know what? The title should have given me a little bit of hint. Just like the first game, let me go mine. Let me bring it back to the starport. I know where that is. I mean, it's the planet I'm from, the area I'm from. Let me bring it back and sell it. And I kept bringing back all this stuff, and I couldn't sell anything. I was running out of fuel. I was running out of money. In the time where I sold all my fuel for money and then realized later that was my fuel. Um, yeah, I went bankrupt on that one. Uh, <laughs> we're important. And it was a lot harder to build up money in this game, I found, because you had to mine great, but then it all had to be stored on your ship, which you have a finite amount of space. Um, and then you had to find an alien planet centers that you landed next to and i will say it was pretty good that i mean every time you land it's randomized but there was usually a trade center within only burning less than 10 percent a year it was somewhere nearby it was pretty easy to spot on the map anytime but then you had to hope that they were buying that oh gosh oh man i just found a platinum planet this is great got all this platinum and then you're like okay so they're there's a race that lives a couple systems over, fly over there, land, and they're not buying platinum. Oh, man, that'd be brutal. <laughs> and so you've just, you've gone and mined a hundred times and filled up half your ship with platinum, and nope, they're not buying. I don't know if I said something wrong or whatever. I'd be at the trade center, and they're like, no, we're not open for trade today. <laughs> it's 
game, you could always go home and sell what you had there. Yeah. You always had that option. No, this one, it was about the trade routes. I mean, you really had to go planet to planet to planet. I mean, you still had to go back to your home ship and to get um, commands. And you could find habitable planets, report on habitable planets, and you'd get a boatload of money. You'd get like, oh, hey, here's 20,000 credits or something, which is a great deal in the game. So to get some upgrades and to see what the training would do, I just went online and like, hey, what planets can I get on um, in that game instead of just aimlessly wandering around the 150 solar systems and each one of them having, you know, two to six planets. And, you know, again, you're at about 800 or so planets or something. And there were maybe 30 in the entire game that you could report back on that were great for habitable colonization. Making money in that was way harder. Yeah. Way harder. And I, I, I did like that. I liked, since the gameplay was similar, I went back to the first one. Really liked it. Yeah, I, I didn't get that far in the second one, but like the first one seemed like a better... Even though it doesn't have quite as many features, it honestly like a better realization of that idea. Mm. <laughs> like they had a good, a, a decent... For as little story as there is, I think they probably did a better job with the story, at least selling it early on in the first game than they did in the second game. And they did a like it's not necessarily a game that needed more. <laughs> no, d- d- despite the limitations on the graphics and everything else, big game in scope. It does seem like one. But like, like you oh, yeah. said, I mean, it, it is a game. That certainly, is you're supposed to go and what you go, what you need to do. Like I'm sure you could finish it quickly, but like if you're playing it in any way straight, it is just daunting how big it can be at times. Oh, yeah, uh, this would take pages of notes. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, would, I think it would be require from scratch multiple playthroughs. Like, oh. like a, like a rogue yep. like you Oh, yeah. To, like, you have to learn the races and what to say to them and die a few times along the way. And so that oh, I, I definitely remember doing that a lot. It's a little, you know, it's like playing this and I'm like six or seven. And eventually, even after a while of mining, I'd kind of get bored and like, okay, I want to go fight an alien. And I'd go pick a fight and usually get my, you know, ship blown up and then like, oh, crap, starting uh-huh. over. <laughs> I, I don't know if they were in the first game, too, but there is a second game. There's a race that is incredibly, they're like, oh, I know we suck, but, you know, could, could, like talk to us or whatever. I'm sure you find us incredibly twice and just to get an idea for the combat i blew them away it was it was very sad (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess we should say like combat yeah like it's a 1986 game (laughs) Uh like and again it's menu based it was like move your ship here oh man yeah it's it it, once again it's very much stealing from uh, star trek like you have you have armor, you have shields, you have lasers and photon torpedoes. Were they actually called photon torpedoes, or am I just... I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> or am I just insorting it? <laughs> I think that's right. And it, well, just, it, just looking at that like manual, I saw that they tell you, raise shields and make sure to shield combat, or else other <laughs> aliens that come along will think that you might still be aggressive and will fight you immediately. Oh, yeah, like the, the aliens will catch on to that. Like, Oh, yeah. If you go in with weapons armed, they will definitely just go in for a fight. And even some of the aliens will do that even if you have your shields raised. Like, they they do that, like, they have programmed that in for every different alien race, like, like almost the aggressiveness of them. 
but yeah, like the combat, like it just goes to this screen, and you'll it, it's basically just like little sprites moving around, and you have to I, move. I think sprites is actually pushing the limit. <laughs> <laughs> it's pixels moving around. And I'm, okay. not even sure, and I'm not even sure if all of them were plural on that. <laughs> could could be singular pixel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I don't even know what the resolution of this game was originally. May have been like 320 by 240, something like that. Really low res, which hurts at times. But um yeah, like like I'm I'm struggling to even describe it because it's like you you will pick like okay I want to use my laser lasers were like short range and then the photon torpedoes were longer range and then you would have to pick which one you were use and then you would have to then like select the uh, area that you wanted to uh, attack yes. yeah and so it's really clunky and you'd have to swap back and forth between that and then like maneuvering your ship mm-hmm. and usually you'd run into like more than one ship at a time oh yeah. You're usually fighting off, like, three or four or five different Exactly. So, yeah, it's not just one and doing that, but, yeah. <laughs> Was that any better on the Genesis? I can imagine, actually, it might be slightly better on the Genesis, where you could, you know, move around. Having that on a... Instead of having to swap back and forth on a keyboard, like... like yeah, the, you just fly around. It's like Star Control. You just kind of fly around and shoot each other. <laughs> It's like the lesson to this is play the Genesis version of it. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. If you can find the instruction manual to go with it. <laughs> so true. Website. Yep. Hey, we already have the link to it, so there we go. There there are some really good Starflight references on, on on the web. Like this is a one of those weird little games that developed like a really strong devotion among the small people who played it. So there are a bunch of a bunch of really dedicated fans who have tried to keep it alive over the years. And isn't the third one coming out one day? There According was... to GameFAQs, it's in development and hasn't had a release date nailed down. Yeah, there was a FIG campaign for it a couple months back. Yeah, I'm pulling that up right now. I remember us reporting about it. I remember there was a FIG campaign That's a couple months back. It's right. Because I'll, I'll be honest, I had never heard of this game until you guys brought it up. They've got uh, 466,000, but it is not, they're, they're only at about half of their goal back in September. It had a lot of the original people working on it. Uh huh. So maybe not. This may be not happening. Oh, that's a bummer. Well, guys, we're making it in Unity. I sent you the link. Ah. It'd be really interesting to see what they do with this in a modern setting with a mouse or a controller. Sad that, but <laughs> yeah, like it's a, it's a game coming back. You know, playing it again, you're you're just left going like, man, if they just tweaked a handful of things, you had something really interesting. And like, honestly, the graphics aren't the the big hurdle here. It's just like a handful of like quality of life things, and it would be really awesome. Still, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really wasn't bothered by the graphics. I mean, I played it for what it was. It was, you know, this is, geez, what I remember from early games. I had a Buck Rogers game on the TRS-80 and games on the Commodore 64 that looked no better than this that I enjoyed the hell out of. Yeah, like with the graphics, about the one thing they do is like to on your communications, like they'll, 
like they'll show up that one little graphic of the uh, enemy race from of the alien race, and like some of the alien race design is really neat and inventive, <laughs> but you know that's that's pretty rare. <laughs> it's it's a lot of staring at basically blocky pixels. Yeah, there's a whole lot of blocky pixels in this game. Wow, I'm a I'm, I'm looking through the pictures that they got on their fig page for Starflight Three, and uh, that looks pretty. Yeah. Wow, they got they got a quote here. Starflight deserves its status as the Star Wars of science fiction games, says Orson Scott Card. There you go. This is actually this is pretty. It's got a quote on there. He's like, "This is what inspired us to do Mass Effect." Um, I don't know. There, oh, go ahead. Talking about differences, going back to that, were there wormholes in the first game? Yeah. Okay. I never, I never encountered any of them. I never looked at them too hard. But yeah, yeah the, the, they, there, there were wormholes in the first game as well. That was how you get from like one side of the galaxy, one side of the galaxy to the other. Okay. And, and it would give you, like, it, it, it starts leading you into that where it will just give you a hint. Like even right at the very beginning of the first game, it's like, oh, you know, something weird happens over at. You know, one twenty-eight by sixty-seven. Maybe you should check that out. <laughs> and it dumps you off to like one of the uh, one of the early planets you need to go to. That's like uh, having the solar instability, and you can do some research on that planet. So it's kind of like trying to point you in the right direction. Uh, you know, as a math teacher, I highly encourage this for young children to learn their Cartesian coordinate system. <laughs> there you go. Well, I don't know if there's anything we forgot to talk about. We were, I'm sorry, we're it, it's kind of late and I'm a little punchy, so I don't know if I've forgotten something or not. Well, we didn't talk about music. That can be a short discussion. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say that there's probably more music on the Genesis. Yeah, yeah probably was. And the uh, sound effects when certain aliens popped up were kind of creepy. Ooh, you get sound effects. Like this was in an era of PC games before speakers really existed. There, there were those really horrible tinny speakers that were built into the uh, computers themselves, and it would just, you know, put out little bleeps and boops. <laughs> oh man, so bad. <laughs> I played, uh, I played this both on a PC and my Mac, and honestly, the first two weeks I was playing on PC, and I had moved my speaker somewhere else, so I had no speaker for this and didn't even think of it. Um, and when, then when I played a few hours on the Mac one night, I was like, oh, oh wow, I, I have this. <laughs> I, nope, nope, I was, I was muting the speakers when it, I was playing this. It did not add to the experience, the original games. It, it did in. not. That, that happened quite a bit back in that era of PC games. Well, it made a lot of splat weird noises. <laughs> there was the well, I splatted a lot, so I can see why. <laughs> oh, Maybe Phil can the first 20, 30 seconds or skip to about 10 seconds. It's kind of weird music. Oh, man, you got to... That's our transition. Like that just became the transition music. Yeah. Uh, so, well, thank you guys very much. You can uh, you, you can pick this up on GOG on sale, or GOG, I should say, on sale now. It's like literally a dollar and a half. Retail, apparently, is $6, so... <laughs> 75% off, woo! Wait, Phil, 
What if you want the physical copy of the Genesis version? I don't, I don't know if, uh, do you think eBay has that? Let's see here. With, with the, I think eBay will and have I it. think, I think we need to make sure we get the instruction book too. The hard you know? part is getting the map. Yeah. Cause, oh, the map too. Yeah. And, uh, it'd be nice to have all of them. Let's see. I think here. it would be more than nice. It would be very helpful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But very short time. Let's see here. Oh. 30 uh, complete with inbox game maps manual works 40 bucks not too bad wait wait, wait. is that brand new that is complete with <laughs> box i didn't see any new ones i don't think oh i've got one right here 389.99 Ooh, doggity. 389 well you, you guys need to go pick that up it's just that's all there is to it you gotta have well, it that, that, that's 389 yuan right <laughs> Yeah, I just dropped it in the chat. Oh my god. That low, low price. Gosh, yeah, the Genesis looks a lot different. Oh, oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah, just like oh, you, you guys even have a little voice samples too. I forgot about the orbit established scanning. <laughs> wow, this four hundred dollar one is plastic wrapped with the Toys R Us sticker still on it. Well there you go. Well you can't get any more of those. Toys R Us has gone out of business. I was going to say, maybe the uh, inflation here is not so much on the game, but the uh, sticker. I wonder if soon there will be a premium on Best Buy stickers. But uh, but, uh, now we're going to take a little break and let you listen to some very interesting transition music. (laughs) And (laughs) and we'll come back with with our RPG backtrack, sidetrack, CRPG clip, something rather. We'll talk more about it in just a minute.
Welcome back. Uh, this is a segment uh, that I'm currently calling the RPG Backtrack Side Check, but we're gonna we're gonna be changing this. We're changing this to we're gonna call this a CRPG Club. Hashtag CRPG Club. Um, and uh, and this is just basically where I've been playing. I've been playing uh, a PC game. I feel like the PC system is the best retro system out there in the world. It's the easiest way to play role playing games from way back when, right up through yesteryear. You don't even need a beefy system to play a lot of these old games at all. Uh, hell, most of these really thin laptops nowadays will play anything. Uh, you know, from more than four or five years old. But uh, but definitely when it comes to a lot of the games I play. And and so this is the segment where I talk about my experiences. Uh, we're talking today. We got to, on the docket. I have Wasteland Two, developed by In Exile Entertainment, published by Deep Silver. Uh, this was originally released on the PC uh, in North America. We have everything here: Xbox One, <laughs> PlayStation Four. It says October 13, twenty fifteen. So I'm going to run with that. Oh, here uh, Windows, September nineteen, twenty fourteen, and. Uh, and and I was a Kickstarter on this because this was part of that Kickstarter craze that was going on a couple of years before that. Where like, look, we're making tactical RPGs uh, again, and and we're gonna need money to do this because when we go, I remember like the Kickstarter for this is like when we go to these big publishers and we're like, hey, we got this new game, we're gonna we're gonna kick off with you know we're gonna use Wasteland, the original Wasteland is kind of the foundation, and they they had this mock uh, thing that they were doing with this with this. You know, publisher, and he's like, Remus Chain, so and so it's gonna be like Fallout 4. That sounds awesome. First person shooter with some, you know, with some leveling up mechanics. No, no, it's a tactical role play game experience. Tactical? Nobody's gonna wanna buy that. Get out of my office. You know, so. It was it was a really funny skit. If you can find that, it's probably somewhere on YouTube. It was hilarious, uh, but it definitely got me to put my money down on a number of games, uh, Shadowlands and a few others, and uh, and Divinity: Original Sin. Uh, but uh, Wasteland Two is one of those. And but I never got around to playing when they released it. At the time they released it, I was knee deep in my Dragon Quest, you know, playthrough and other things that were going on. So I finally got a chance to sit down. And play Wasteland 2. Game is set in an alternative timeline in which nuclear waste is a big thing. People are blowing each other up sky high. Soviet Union and, you know, United States had it out and boom, goes the dynamite. Kind of like Fallout. It's just post-apoptolytic. And you're working for, and I'm really horrible at details and names, but you're working for, at least I remember they're called the Rangers because think Texas Ranger. But you're working with the Rangers who are basically kind of like the police of the area they 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 try to protect themselves and other people uh from from the various elements out there mostly bad guys and gangsters and the things because they've got they in their conglomeration they they have a farm and they have a watering plant because those things are really really scarce so it's their job to help make sure those are protected which they're going to need so they don't get thirsty and die uh, and the such, but the wasteland's a very, very dangerous place, and the game starts right off letting you know that because one of one of the the big rangers he went out on a mission, he never came back. So one of the early things it sets you out to do is go find you know find out who you know what happened to him. Uh, go out and take care of that. But then when you go and do that, there's other things that pop up, and you have to to, to kind of figure out what's most important to you, what you're going to do first. You have to make decisions, and those decisions have some implications to them. And this is happening for the most part in the state of Arizona, at least at the beginning, uh, and the such. So, uh, and and I, I will say, like, at my first impression was I like tactical combat a lot. 
So I was super happy with that. The character creation's very deep. I was a little concerned that I was making a suboptimal team. I want to make my own team. You can you can go with the pre-gens if you want, uh, but I like to make my own team. But there's so many choices of, you know, do you want to be a safe cracker? Do you want, you know, who can crack open safes? Do you want to have points in toaster oven? Because there might be crap in the toaster ovens. Uh, do you want to be someone who can get past security alarms? Uh, you, don't forget you need some skill points and some weapons because you're going to be fighting a lot. Uh, there's just There's just all these things. And and you can't even with four characters you can't quite cover it all, and, and everything costs so many points, and you only got so much to spend. That I did feel like I needed more information. What the game was giving me, I think one of the things I really normally like about tactical RPGs is when it comes to character creation. Usually, there's a nice beefy instruction book that really gets into the numbers, so you kind of know exactly what you're doing. If you're playing Dungeons Dragons, all you have to do is read. And you'll find out what the implications for your different decisions are. But uh, here I had to go to an FAQ, which is my favorite thing in the world, as you guys know. And there's definitely certain advantages to putting points into, and I forget what the attribute was, because it would give you a lot more skill points, a lot more action points in combat. Uh, so FAQ helped a lot with that. With that being said, as I played the game more, the first few levels are really tough. Perhaps maybe even the toughest of the game. But I didn't get to the, all the way to the end. But... Um, but at, you do, once you can get past those hard levels, leveling up comes faster and fast, at least for me. It came pretty easy after those first three to five levels. And then you have points coming out the wazoo, especially if we pick up a couple of good NPCs that help cover some of those things, which is another one of my frustrations in games like this, where NPCs are going to become a predominant part of your party. It, it would be nice to know ahead of time what my choices were so I could kind of plan around that. I like to plan things. So when I've already put points in all the safe cracking and this, and then I pick up rosemary mcbucket and she's already got points and all that i'm like damn it i wasted those points maybe i should start over and and kind of work around that for optimization but i ran with it and i didn't feel like i was missing out too much there was definitely some checks that i really wanted to pass and i ended up save scumming which made it feel very old school just keep doing it over and over again till till i got that but uh the the first for me the first mission that i picked was the uh agriculture area there's a lot of in that particular area there's a lot of of adventure game mechanics action what are not adventure those story ones where you have to point and click and put things together i don't touch those with the 10-foot pole generally speaking like um what's that one the pirates and lechuck or whatever but uh, I'm not usually a huge fan of those. And there's a lot of those elements in that first one. It was kind of frustrating me because I couldn't figure out what to do next. They would say, for example, oh, you need to go and get some mushrooms from the basement so we can make an antidote. And I would walk all over the darn thing looking for these damn mushrooms and just not be able to find them. And I didn't know. But the room's got big, huge mushrooms, but they're all part of the background. And so I'm like taking my mouse over all of them thinking I'm supposed to find this little mushroom icon somewhere, you know, little little graphic somewhere. And I, and I, you know, kept mousing all over the place looking for it. Finally went and looked in FAQ and there's this side room that's next to the room of mushrooms and there's some combat encounters. And when you get through all that, there's your mushroom samples. I'm like, this room was full of mushrooms. And I just didn't see the side room. I mean, shame on me for not seeing the, you know, it's just got through that. So there were definitely some frustrations there. There was one point you have to turn off fans and that is a little icon. And when you're dealing with 3D graphics and you're spinning around, I just completely missed the switch and died over and over again trying to figure out what to do. Turns out just... There's a little tiny switch there. Just click it and all the fans turn off. Yay. Now, to its credit, there is a button you can press in the game to highlight stuff. <laughs> and speaking of those things that maybe I didn't know that if I had written a review, I'd be blasting this game for those uh, those adventure-style uh, mechanics uh, on those <laughs> things I have to keep mousing around. I hate mouse searching. 
But it turns out if you just hold down a certain key, and someone pointed out to me, Discord, thank you, Discord people, uh, that helped to make the game a lot more palatable, you know, for me. Once I got past the agriculture area, which was difficult, tough fights, by the way, but even tougher puzzles for me. For me, what came after that was a lot smooth. It just... It was, there was a couple more hiccups along the way, but it was more combat, which I like. Uh, my characters were leveling up faster. I was getting points to put into stuff that was fun. Had more choices to handle uh, some of the RPG situations that were coming up because I had more points in different areas. So it, it made it more fun and I, and I got more into it. I, I feel like it's one of those games that, at least for me, everyone's mileage is going to vary, that if you just play for a few hours, I would probably just give it up. But because I was doing this for this discussion, I want to give it more time. And I'm glad I did. Really started to take a, a liking to it. And I do, you know, hope to go back in and get further into it and finish it at some point. Now, who has anybody else played it? I thought somebody else might have played it. Nobody? Nope. I think that, that he had to go away for a few minutes. Um, you guys can still hear me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, just make sure the mic's still working. Just, just didn't play Wasteland 2. It would be really hilarious if I went on for like the last 10 minutes and it totally didn't record though. Uh, so <laughs> that would be hilarious. But yeah, no, it's it's definitely worth worth checking out. And it's very timely because, I just, of course, they just released it on the Switch, which would be a really cool way. I can't even imagine how awesome it would be to have a Western tactical-based style RPG that's that deep in the palm of your hand. Uh, I hope that they made those icons a little bit easier to see on that smaller screen. There's a lot of text and stuff, but I'm sure hopefully they've taken care of that. But to be able to, to, to have that kind of thing portable, the closest thing that comes to mind is D&D Tactics for the PSP, which I was super excited to have a full-blown Dungeons & Dragons you know, game in the palm of my hand. But And I played it for I don't know how many hours. But if you play that game before, it's also got a lot of issues, a lot of slowdown, very clunky. It eventually kills you, and it just kind of proves this point that it's really tough to have a true Western-style, deep tactical RPG uh, in the palm of your hand. With all the moving pieces that generally comes with that, it's usually deeper than the Disgaea series and whatnot. But, well, hell, we got Disgaea 5 on the on there, too. So now you have really two deep tactical RPGs. But this is a Western style with a lot of text, a lot of, lot of text, a lot of story, a lot of lore. you got to like reading to play this game. I forgot to mention that. There is there's good voice acting in it, but there is a lot of reading as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be tough for you. If you're just going into this game for the combat, there are games that do that better. I would say even XCOM, XCOM's battle system is, 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 was more fun, a little bit deeper, just a little bit. But, uh, but, but this one definitely has a lot of beefy story. And if you like story, this, this is definitely, you know, XCOM is just pretty much, you know, survive the aliens, um, tell your own story. Wasteland 2 has a lot of story, a lot of characters that you'll get to know and get to like uh, and get to hate. So, yeah, I can I can definitely recommend this one. It's, it is exciting that it's out on the Switch. But, it, you know, I played it on the computer, you know, where you can probably get it for cheaper nowadays. I feel like the Switch has the Speaking of taxes, uh, Switch has the Switch tax. So Yeah, that happens. Yeah. Speaking of... <laughs> speaking of, speaking uh, of Switch. Speak, speaking of Switch. Yeah, go ahead. Does somebody want to say, I thought somebody was trying to jump in. Uh, yeah, speaking of Switch, hey, can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you now, yeah. All right. Yeah, so I was trying to talk. I guess my mic was properly to go. Talking about Wasteland. Yeah. What would you think of old Wasteland? I really enjoyed it. Um, it's been a little while, so I've kind of forgotten some of it. I did go through and beat it. Uh, I, I do recall that plant area. That was actually pretty tough. 
Uh, I love the, the big part of the game that's really nice is the atmosphere and the setting and how, how well they do that stuff. Some of the writing is pretty good hit or miss. The characters are pretty cool. Uh, I haven't really played much of Wasteland 1, so there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of Easter egg appreciation stuff that, that harkens back to the original. I am super glad you brought that up. I completely forgot to mention. Now, I didn't play Wasteland 1, so I'm probably missing those eggs. But I did some screenshots and shared them on Twitter of, like, nerd Easter eggs that are in there. Like, at one point, there was a plant growing in a in, in a lab. And there was a reference to, I think, like, Dungeon Dragon's bark skin spell. And it's like, unless you play Dungeon Dragons, you would have never picked up on that reference. But, you know, for... For people like me, it was like, that was hilarious. There's definitely Easter eggs. But, uh, so you enjoyed it pretty much. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. Um, I think it starts to bog down once you kind of start going to the end area. And you pick uh, which path you're going to take. And uh, I think the pacing starts to slow down a little bit towards the end. But still, you know, I was already invested enough that, you know, it was still worthwhile finishing and pushing through. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, uh, definitely check that out. Um, you can, yeah, you can get. Now I'm gonna have to look up the price. I feel like I should do price, price, price quotes on this. Uh, Wasteland Two is like fifteen dollars on the PC. So, and if you are gonna get it on your Switch, your Wasteland Two Director's Cut dealy, and it wants to know my age because there's some adult, there's some adult stuff in here, boys and girls. Yeah, there's old references. Oh, it's thirty bucks. 30 bucks, so you're paying, what, an extra 15 bucks to have it portable? So you have to make a decision whether that's worth that extra 15 bucks for you. Have it uh, have it portable in your hand. So, uh, let's see. Speaking of other uh, price decisions to make, Valkyria Chronicles. So I actually played it all the way through this time. Uh, for those of you who might remember, <laughs> way back in the day, I mentioned this on a way earlier backtrack. I played Valkyria Chronicles on the PS3 when it came out. Loved the graphics, but the gameplay was just really ticking me off, especially as the missions went on. And I I found out now, as I played through the whole game, I was actually three quarters of the way through the game. I think I only had like three or four more missions left. Because <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, I remember this. I sort of remember this. The great thing about getting older boys and girls, though, is the older you get... When you go back and play these games, the less you remember. Your memory just gets worse and worse. So it was like, wow, this feels new to me. Oh, no, wait a minute. No, I know I did this part after it. No, no. Okay. So I must have done it. But uh, uh, that, that, that part's hilarious. Valkyria, for, for, for those of you who have not experienced yet, Valkyria Chronicles is a very interesting game to describe. It is an RPG, but it's also a tactical you know, game. It's also a third-person shooter game, and it kind of, kind of combines this all into one. There, when it comes to the uh, the, the the combat, well, I usually start with the story. In the story, this is a, a an alternate reality. The year is around 1930-ish, and the continent of Europa, which looks just like yeah. Europe, yeah. <laughs> It's basically anime World War Two. There you go. Anime World War Two. There you go. Just wrap it up into a nutshell. That's exactly it. The Empire, aka Russia, is looking to take over more land. And they're gonna start with Galia, your little country of Galia, which is just right in between the two. Because Galia is rich in resources, Ragnite, and everybody wants Ragnite. Hell, the Ragnite's sticking out of every tank and everything in the 
the game. So everyone's healing themselves with Ragnite. For something that's so scarce, everyone's got a piece of Ragnite hiding <laughs> somewhere. It's in everything. Uh, and the yep. big Ra- of- Ragnite being basically oil. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, and the big hunks of Ragnite hanging out in the big, huge tanks. I, I don't even know where you find pieces that big, but that's what they do. Uh, so... Uh, Gallia likes to stay, they're kind of like Switzerland, they want to stay neutral, but the Empire really wants their oil, I mean Ragnite, so uh, they're not going to allow them to remain neutral for too long here. So the story tells, uh, tells, uh, the, the story tells the story, <laughs> the plot tells the story of characters who come from a small town that have been conscripted into, you know, there's a drafting in this country and they've been drafted in to help fight and defend their country and they do their best at it while dealing with some uh, themes of racial racial prejudice and whatever have you. I think some of the some of the darker themes of war come to bear here. I think one of the struggles for me in the story wise was one minute they'll be talking about you know somebody really struggling with you know see you know you have the hol- they're, they're equivalent of the Holocaust thing going on as the bad guys pretty much wiped out all these dark skins uh, dark sins. What? But then then we're gonna play with the pig the moink who keeps moinking and just have a grand time and have some hot bread while you're at it. You just saw people get... There was a little bit of a... And that's kind of not too... That's not yeah. too odd for a JRPG uh, story anyways. Yeah, it's it's you know. where the kind of that JRPG anime stuff does come through. And, and it, honestly, I think it's even worse in the second game where, where you've got like this supposed to be like really horrible civil war going on, but then they have like dumb high school hijinks mixed in. Oh, like, oh, the village got... Yeah, the village got wiped out, but hey, let's go back and have a slumber party. And you're just like, what? Don't even, don't even start with that bastardization of a Valkyrie. <laughs> the freaking map is segment. Don't even get me started. Okay, we're gonna be. Oh here man, yeah, we'd be here all night. We'd be here all night. <laughs> so I would, I would say that you know, for me, this the story was pretty, pretty good. Um, I just felt like, like you know, I just felt like I've seen JRPGs that did better timing when it came to the light elements versus the dark elements. And I feel like we're going to talk about that in a in a couple of podcasts after this one. But uh, but with that, you know, for here me, it was a bit of a disconnect here and there. But with that being said, I did care about the characters. I did want to see how it ended. Uh, and and now I'll talk about the combat. But let's just say the story was what kind of carried me through on this, and I'm glad I, I saw it all the way to the end. So the combat, as I mentioned before, is kind of a combination of these things. And a lot of people loved it because it felt fresh and original. I know I did. And I mentioned this before Podcast Wago, but for those of you who aren't listening to every single RPG backtrack, my frustration is that the gameplay is ultimately unbalanced, which is to say, so you can go up to another enemy or they can run up to you, and I can shoot and aim the gun at that head and pretty much kill most people right away. Now... And if you if you touch an enemy body, his body will disappear. For your characters, when they get shot, I don't think the enemies really touch your body, and make them disappear. You've got oh oh, right. they will, they, oh, they will. will, okay, yeah, oh yeah, totally. So, that was the only way I ever lost any characters was where the enemies would run over and kill them. Yeah, ah, fair they enough. They do do that. So they have the same. So this is a great point here. So this is a mechanic that that yeah. So your guy gets There's knocked out. death in this it's game. Yeah, death. Yeah. You've got three rounds to get to your character, or if an enemy touches him, he is dead forever. Uh, welcome, welcome to Fire Emblem Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and this can be, and because each side moves all at once, you might have ten ten turns or ten command points, as they call them. You can use those command points all on one character, but if you use it multiple times on one character, each time he can move less and less space, which may not be a big deal if his first turn or two you were able to get him right next to, let's say, a campful 
full of enemies uh, and he was somewhat invulnerable to crossfire, like if he was a stormtrooper, had a command thrown on him, and then he could use the next four turns to shoot them all in the head and touch their bodies along the way somewhere and make them all disappear, you'd have four instant deaths like that. Now, that's great when you're the player and you do something like that, you pat yourself on the back. The problem is if the AI played that aggressively, this would become a very frustrating game very quickly. Every once in a while, it does. It had it had this happen where it came in, he came in from behind, grenaded my, my scout who was back behind some bags, uh, and knocking him right out. And my jaw hit the ground. I was just like, damn, that's something I would do. That was pretty sneaky bastard. But the AI has to be reined in because otherwise the game could become quickly frustrating. But now you've got a really, really dumb AI that isn't all that challenging. So in order to counterbalance this in the long run as the game goes on, it would it would just kind of become boring. It seems like to me what they did to compensate for that was they would come up with various boss with these weird ass mechanics and the way that I would have to learn those mechanics they would they would try to explain it somewhat in the if 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 it was within story reason that they would know something about this enemy tank or enemy train or whatever they would try to explain to it but more times than not I would have to jump in with the mission play with it for a while and figure out how some of that stuff worked again unless I looked at an FAQ or something Sometimes during some of those missions, surprise events would happen. Like in this one mission on, you know, turn four, two enemy tanks pop up on opposite sides of the board and they become the the, the main thing. And they're very well protected. Uh, and the way, the way my party was positioned, because I wasn't expecting that, we got wiped out. And I didn't have like a really low save to save load. I learned after that to save almost every round in a different save spot. But I didn't have, you know, because I was saving every round, I didn't have that plan for i had to start that whole battle again i lost all the time i felt very frustrated now that i knew they were going to pop up on turn four it was just a mere matter of me having a lancer in the right place before it wasn't actually turn four it's actually after you actually defeat something but all i had to do was put my lancers there and boom i was able to win that board without breaking sweat a plus rating and it's like uh, i feel like an a plus rating should be more than i know how this puzzle mechanic works or i know where this enemy's going to show up on turn four it should be no this was a tough battle like chess my opponent made these moves and i figured out how to counter those moves as i went along so that's as a game i like the originality it got me hooked and it still was fun and, and playing it again its moments did shine but at the end i'm done with it i just wanted to get to the end of the story got through the last few battles last battle was pretty satisfying but, uh, you know, got through that once I figured out what classes do what in that fight. And then um, um, that, that big-ass tank where you had to shoot it in a certain spot. It's a huge thing. And you got to shoot it in the heat sink. And I swear I was shooting it in the heat sink. And nothing was happening. And I just thought, was I not buffed enough? What, did I not have the right weapons? Mm. After trying it for like 40 minutes, looked it up on YouTube. No, the heat seeks up in the air. You got to look yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Like, mother, like, it's those types of things that you're just like, err. Um so, I mean, you and I had a bunch of different discussions about while yeah. you were playing this on Discord. And I, like, some of it, I think, between the two of us is like, I think I'm willing to cut the game more slack because it was doing kind of new and unique and interesting things. And I wouldn't tell you that it's perfectly balanced. No. I mean, they, they did a lot with that in as they iterated, especially as they got into three and four. Like, they changed, they really did a much better job of both. Both tweaking the battle system, but also doing a lot better, a lot better job with level design, so that a lot of that stuff doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it was just like I, I, I fell in love with the with the original concepts and stuff. I just, I could think of like three ideas off the top of my head that would have made it a little bit more 
uh, you know, feel a little bit more balanced, more of a challenge and, and, and whatever have you, like not being able to stack, you know, command points on one character. Like in most tactical RPGs, you just move one character at a time and that's their turn. If you had to do that with this party, this would be like, okay, now I can't send my scout way out because he's only going to get one move. So I don't want him putting his neck, you know, that far out. I'll have him take a look around, but he's going to have plenty of backup. He's going to have a shock trooper with all times in case, you know, the enemy starts coming at, you know, like uh, just that one change, I think would have made it. Uh, a lot yeah. different. And, and like in the later games, they nerfed the scout, so even each successive time, like the scout can't go anywhere near as far as it can in the first game. And then they really nerfed how far you go in successive turns. Because in later games, after you start picking on the character like a third time, basically you can't really move them much yeah. Yeah, after that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like they you started doing that kind of stuff. They, they learned. Yeah, you can get two or three moves out of it. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, it, so uh, it just, yeah, I, I play for the gameplay and, and the story was, was pretty good. But anyway, I, I'm glad I did it. And and you can get, uh, now to your point, I actually did, I did want to see, because of your comments, I did kind of want to look at Valkyrie Chronicles 4. I had bought it on Winter Sale. It was only 30 bucks. And mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to encourage them to make more games like this. So I went ahead and, and dived into it, even though I'm not going to really get to all of it at any time soon. But since I had it, I was like, okay, let me pop it in now that I finished this first one. I got a couple of extra hours. And to your point, like you can see it already in the first three missions I played with one of those being a skirmish. The first two main story missions were definitely more, you've got to be a little bit more thoughtful of what you're doing. It isn't. And one of the ways they address this from a design perspective was not everything is just go take the enemy camp. It's yeah. okay. You got to go do this objective or you got to beat all the enemies or you got to discover the fake t- tanks. And so you don't know exactly where that mission's going to end at. You don't know exactly how that's going to work out. So if you're too crazy with your scouts, you're going to get, you know, he's going to get killed. Um, I have, I have noted that the AI is still dumb as rocks, but yeah, yeah, that is hilarious. (laughs) But that, you know, but again, every once in a while they do pull something, you know, pull something out of their hat. And if you do something completely stupid, they are going to, they are going to make you pay for it. Um, yeah, they but, did a lot in four to base, basically adding like machine guns are everywhere, and there's lots. Yeah. There's even those. Uh, there's even those anti tank guns that can shoot interception fire at you that can just tear up your tank if you're not careful. Yeah, so I, they they did some stuff to make it make it much more challenging. Quick question for you on the side. Uh, well, I got you here now that you got me thinking about this. About this one thing I noticed about my tank is it only takes one command point now. So why yeah. do I have a lancer? <laughs> the, the 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 thing you will learn about lancers is once you start once the enemies start having grenadiers uh-huh. they get this the enemy grenadiers will get this ability on their attacks where they can uh, make armored units not be able to move after they get hit by a grenade so lancers become really useful to counter grenadier enemy grenadiers because basically the grenadiers won't do any damage to the lancers even if they get hit so you can use grenadiers to kind of counter enemy lancers, or at least that's what I did. In four. there is probably some really optimal uh, strategy for that that Wait, I didn't but, know. But I have I, was I have lancers because they're grenadiers. I can use them to counter their grenadiers. Exactly. Okay, that's what I did. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. So the early impression of four is that they like, and it's just like exactly what you said, which um, you know they address a lot of my gameplay, you know, concerns uh, in four. So. I'd look forward to diving more into it to validate your opinion, of course. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all about validation. But I'm seeing it in the first few. The the skirmish did have a go take your scout and quickly capture a camp, but it's a skirmish, number one. Number two, it's clear, it's clear that they designed the map for that if you're a veteran player because there's a huge pathway around mm-hmm. – 
you know, to do that. So I'm not knocking it for the one skirmish, but I do like how there, there, there does seem to be a lot of thought put into the, the main maps I played. And, and I guess I'll take the opportunity to pimp a uh, interview I did with the director of Valkyria Chronicles 4. That talked to, which you can go ahead and read because there's not really any story spoilers in it. It's it's almost all about the gameplay and the mechanics of the game. So that you can find that on the site. And he even talks about like why the uh, scoring system is the way it is in Valkyria Chronicles. Why it rewards the speed of completing a stage as opposed to how many enemy units you kill. Hmm. So there was some interesting stuff in there about that, about the idea and the design of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting in doing those missions now, you know, knowing that speed is still the factor that you get rated on, and, and as I mentioned, you know, at some point, uh, it just, you know, I had friends saying, well, why do you play it rushing through then? Why are you scout rushing? Like, it sounds like you're cheesing it. You're not playing the game it was meant to be played. And I re- so respond back, because it awards me, it rewards me for it, because you get so much more experience. You can literally get triple the experience for an A rating and triple the gold. And like, well, you don't need that. And I'm like, how do I know that? How many RPGs have I played? I get to the final few battles. I'm like, damn it, I wish I was leveled up more. I don't want to go play the same skirmish map over and over again. That's boring. Rather just do, not to mention I get through them faster, usually with scout rushing, which saves me time. So why wouldn't I do that? But uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing how, you know, in further maps, how that works out. But as far as one goes, I, I really do think it's worth absolutely giving a shot, especially with its discounted price. I do want to take a moment to praise some of the mission design as far as there's a lot of variation as you go from mission to mission. I complained a bit about some of the scripts and things that pop up, but there's also some praise in there for the fact that some of the battles that you're in uh, have some creativity put into them. And like I said, hopefully going into uh, Valkyrie Chronicles 4, uh, there's a lot more thought put into some of the design uh, decision on how some of those fights work out. But definitely, even in one, there was definitely some creativity, you know, put into that. It's rare that you, I mean, the first few missions are kind of go and capture the enemy base and and actually a number of them, probably half of them boil down to that, even though they're set up a bit differently. That's their main objective. But I do like the fact that other missions have very objectives, whether it's defense or reroute the enemy or, you know, destroy this special tank from behind. Uh, there's enough there to keep you kind of guessing with each one. So in a way, you know, I'm frustrated by some of the mechanics they did to get there because they just felt obtuse and like a puzzle. On the other hand, at least it kept it really, really fresh. And it's actually given me uh, some ideas for my pen and paper D&D groups to kind of freshen up some of those fights because so many of those just really come down to beating up all the bad guys. So I'm excited about that. And the graphics, of course, uh, just very, very gorgeous. Again, I'll say that again. Just very, very gorgeous. Uh, the cel-shaded graphics just hold up really well. I forget how old this game is now, but 10 years at least, give or take. But you, you couldn't tell. It just it looks absolutely uh, gorgeous. For me, knowing what I know about it now, I would have probably paid 30 to 40 with it for it. It's not a $60 game to me because for me, once I got through that first game, I have no desire to go back and replay it all. Unlike other games like Earth Defense Force or uh, you know Horizon Zero Dawn or a lot of my favorite RPGs that I get through with them and I'm like, that was a satisfying experience. I can't wait to play it again five years from now. With Valkyria Chronicles 1, I, I really don't want to play that one again. I'm going to play 4, though. Because it's it's tweaking it and making it a better experience. I want to experience that experience. Experience those improvements. So 
but for 20 bucks, it's 20 bucks on PlayStation Store. I believe it's 20 bucks on your Switch, so you can play it portably, yeah. which is super gosh darn awesome. Your graphics are going to take a little bit of a hit, but they're cell shaded graphics. They're awesome either way. Uh, and but if you don't mind playing it on the PC like I do, one of the other things I point out about CRPG Club, boys and girls, not only do you have the widest array of retro RPGs from way back when up through yesteryear, and you know even if you don't like Western RPGs, we're getting more and more games like this that are clearly Japanese influenced. Uh, and they're bringing a lot of those. Uh, I was looking at, you know, Fantasy Star. You can play a lot of those games now right there on, on you know, through Steam. It's amazing. Uh, GOG, of course, has a ton of these games. A lot of these JRPGs. Trails and the Tales of Games are on there. It's insane. But uh, you get it a lot cheaper. Valkyrie Chronicles is $6.79 on Steam sale right now. There's not a PlayStation sale. There's not a Switch sale. But there is a Steam sale. So you can pick it up for 6 bucks. Oh, my gosh. It's a no-brainer. Uh, so CRPG Club, like it really officially starts here at the beginning of the year. I did a write up for it at RP Gamer's website. The easiest way to find it is just you know Google search RP Gamer and then CRPG Club. That's all one word, uh, and you can find out some of the details there about the games we're playing. Uh, the article is called "Join the CRPG Club." But uh, you'll see the list of games they're playing. Basically, every month it's kind of like a book club. Every month we have a different game that we've that we've uh, we I picked. Uh, <laughs> And you can see the list there starting in January. Final Fantasy VI. Uh, speaking of your JRPGs on there, you can get the Final Fantasy VI on Steam legitimately uh, for you know for a few bucks. Uh, and there are other ways to experience Final Fantasy VI. It's okay if you want to play the Game Boy Edition or whatever have you. We're not gonna we're not gonna cry about that. But there's um, well, later on we'll get to a couple of games like Secret of Silver Blades, which is PC only. That's uh, that's one of the Gold Box games. I keep sprinkling the Gold Box games. People are asking me, "Hey, are you gonna finish those?" Because I play the first two in the series. I'm gonna get through all nine of them, boys and girls. It's gonna take a few years, but yes, we're gonna get through them all. But 2019 is really known as the year of the Witcher. And it was really hilarious because I, if you're following my Twitter, I started saying, this is going to be the year of the Witcher. CRPG Club's really going to be focused on Witcher. We're going to get through the entire Witcher series starting in March. And we kind of spread out so you don't have to play like all five Witcher games all at once. But in March, we have the Witcher. In May, we have Witcher 2 Assassin of Kings. Uh, we do Witcher 3 Wild Hunt in July. We hit up Wild Hunt's expansions in September. So you don't have to do the three and expansions all in one month. That's cray-cray. The, the, the game itself is massive. Uh, and then we have December. We have Thronebreaker, The Witcher Tales, which is the card game spinoff. So we're going to hit all all four or five of those games throughout the – by the time you're done, you have done all the Witcher games. You have experienced the year of The Witcher. I got the action figure for my, my desk at work. People can see that like, hey, what's this? And it opens up the conversation for me to talk about The Witcher games. If also been listening to the audio – if you want the full experience, be like me, listening to all the audiobooks. <laughs> I'm getting the full experience, dang nabbit. So, uh, and those games, a lot of those are on sale either on Steam and GOG right now. I must, again, follow my Twitter. I mention sales all the time. All those games, great time to pick them all up and be part of that. But our January games, and you don't have to play all these games. If you want to play some and not the others and talk about them, that's great. If you talk about on Twitter or you mention them, you know, we talk about them in Discord. We have a channel set up just for the CRPG Club at the end of the first full month, uh, which is the Final Fantasy VI month. Uh, people who talk about Final Fantasy VI with us uh, are eligible to win a prize from my grab bag. I have a whole, whole list of games. I love to give out you know games from GOG and Steam. I call them my grab bags, so you can check it out. So you even win for doing what you like and chit-chatting about it and help knock out some of those games from your backlog. But yeah, if you stick through the whole thing, uh, yeah. One of the people saying, wow, that's a lot of games, and there are a lot of long games in there. That, that could be a lot. Well, you'll notice that 
I do sandwich a couple of shorter action RPGs. Like between The Witcher and Witcher 2, we have Sacred Gold, which is an action RPG uh, game. And you can put a little time into that. You can put a lot into those games, of course. But you know, I generally just play through them you know, for one character for most of the story. And you get done with it in 12 hours and you're done. In June, which is between 2 and 3, we have Half Minute Hero. <laughs> it literally is 30 seconds a game not just <laughs> yeah so we we we, we kind of we, we we put a lot of thought we again me i put a lot of thought in because i'm gonna be experiencing it i'm gonna be doing it so check it out and you don't have to finish the games either i plan on finishing the witcher games because i do want the complete story from beginning to end you don't have to do it, um unless you're crazy like i am so come check it out me finish games i can't play who was it that was making the funny comment i feel actually finished a game someone hijacked his account well, new, that was me. New oh, that guy. Was me. New guy. Be commenting on it. Smart out new guys. So anyway, yeah, I got a question for you here before you yeah. move on. How are the Witcher books? Uh, so I'm up to the second one, which you start off with the short. You want to start off reading the three short story books, for what I understand, before you get into the full blown novels. The short story, but the second one that was quote unquote short story really told kind of one big story, but each one could be a stand. Like each main chapter could have been a standalone story, but there was kind of one narrative kind of sort of going through it i mean it's basically his one adventure just different plots so uh, i i'm enjoying them it is different it is definitely off color it's it's enough to keep me off balance and make me wonder what's coming next which is refreshing after reading too much r.a salvatore um don't don't ask me what possessed me to start on a binge on those but um yeah a lot of, a lot of... the last thing i've listened through i did the entire wheel of time series oh wow how was that it was all right, but I mean, it was too much. I, I did it for two and a half years of commuting. So uh, I love the Wheel of Time series. Wow! But, but, I mean, I, I went straight through two and a half years. That's all I listened to for, and I, I commute about thirty to forty minutes each way every day. Wow. So, well, they're massive. They're like forty hours a pop. Oh yeah. I mean, it's oh, the... it would take me two to three months to finish a book. Yeah, no, they're they're huge. The Witcher, the with at least the ones I've listened to so far, they're like eleven hours, and then I I do some compression. Like most of the books I'll listen to at one point four, one point five, one point six. With wow. The Witcher, with the accent that's from the especially in the first book, I had to slow that guy down. Like <laughs> I think I was listening to just straight up one speed. He he with the first book had a really thick accent. The second one's a little bit better. Um, I loved how he kept pronouncing a dandelion as dandelion. Um, so. <laughs> That I I thought maybe I was missing something there until the second book comes along and they're like it's dandelion you know they kept pronouncing it dandelion uh, yeah yeah and then then the first book whenever he would use the Witcher's voice it sounded like a vampire <laughs> so I don't know why I just felt like a Transylvania vibe on that one but I enjoy the stories and they're kind of out of left field and sometimes I had to rewind and listen to the end of the chapter again to kind of get the ending there was one story that I didn't quite grasp it and I looked up on Wikipedia and it's like oh okay that. You know, for like a summary, it's like, oh, okay, that that totally makes you know sense now. So, but uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I'm gonna keep pumping through it. I'm not gonna say they're like mind blowing, absolutely drop dead. Uh, there's, you know, if if someone didn't care about the Witcher and Witcher games and the Witcher thing I was doing, there's other books that I've, I'd enjoyed more that I would recommend first. But uh, but they are. For being, you know, for something that's building up to, you know, it's really funny. We usually think about the video games and then games that came after, or books that came after the video games. I keep, gotta remember, these books came before the video game. But as video game tie-ins, even though it's really video games tied into the books, it's not really books tied into the video games. It's a pleasant, it, it's, 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 it's pleasant. It's better than reading D&D books, I'll put it that way. A lot of the D&D books I've read, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we'll keep reading through, and if you ask me later, I'll give you more updates. Or I'll right. write something on Twitter. 
but yeah, yeah, go and check that out. I feel like I'm forgetting something there, but maybe I'll remember later. But yeah, go and check out CRPG Club and let us know if you want to join. If you have any questions, you can leave the, the comments right there on that article. Maybe I'll actually look at that once in a while. Better yet, just hit me up on Twitter. That's usually the easiest way to shoot off questions. Uh, we're going to take a break and we'll come back to wrap this up with the final lap. This is uh, the final lap where we kind of do a bunch of kitchen sink stuff. We also uh, talk about your comments and anything else. Don't have any comments on our last episode on the website anyways. Uh, and and, and so I uh, encourage you to, if you want to leave some comments, you can always do that on the latest episode right there on the website at rpgamer.com. You can also uh, hit us up at Twitter. Uh, I'm at, at, at JC Servant or at Jew Mason, and you can tag one of us and we'll get your question or your comment and read it on the air. Or again, just use the forums, whatever is easiest for you, or email or whatever. Uh, we'll forums. read it on the air, but we are not broadcasting live. So if you say something horrible and stupid or something else that we just don't want to deal with as written, then you will be edited. Yeah, yeah there you because go. Because editing is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. We also had a lot of uh, – I did it not a lot, but I had a couple of comments uh, just in talking in Discord, which is another great way to interact with us, uh, with a couple of members. And I apologize. I didn't take notes and write down their nicknames, but did get some good comments about the length of our podcast, Mr. Minky. Some people are super happy that we often go into the three- to four-hour range because it helps to cover their drive. Well, sometimes we can arrange that. Other times, in order to arrange that, we would have to sparse out our discussions with, uh, so right now I'm looking at my desk and it's very brown and I heard a siren going by outside and there's this annoying little bug that's buzzing around and I'm going to go squish it as soon as I can. Nobody wants to hear that. Sometimes we just can't sustain a discussion on the main event long enough to give you an entire circumnavigation of the United States worth of podcast, <laughs> unfortunately. Are you saying not every episode can be Disgaea long? I'm saying, yeah. Disgaea seemed to bring out something special in you, Mr. Apps, Nathan, and you were the you were the three who kept that going. I had nothing to say about Disgaea. Although so- I, seem to th- I seem to remember I had something to say during the final lap of that one. Something about an idea for fact title but i i just can't remember what it was called right now bad idea factory bad idea factory uh sure josh all you have to do is supply me with written documentation and evidence supporting your thesis that not everything idea factory does is worthy of immediate incineration and throwing down the memory hole <laughs> i'm i'm waiting i'm i will eagerly no i will I will await, but not eagerly, your evidence. <laughs> I, I typed like fifty thousand words for my. Uh, I think I'll uh, I'll pull back on that. 
We'll, we'll go with your idea. The bad idea. Factory. Again, it is possible. Idea Factory is a company that somehow has created a ridiculous quantity of product by now. It is not beyond the realm of possibility for some of that product, given the sheer quantity and the need for eventually an exception to prove the rule, that something in there could be, at the very least, tolerable. It's a factory that produces ideas. At some point, one of those ideas has to have... Hey, a dead clock is right twice a day. So basically, you're saying Idea Factory is a giant room full of monkeys typing on typewriters coming up with... uh... RPG ideas. Number of RPGs, and one of them eventually has to hit. You've got the Shakespeare of RPGs. One of those monkeys is typing it right now. I think you have just come up with a more favorable means of categorizing Idea Factory than I probably would have unaided. (laughs) Also, of course, of monkeys and typewriters. There would be a thousand monkeys and a thousand typewriters, and Idea Factory may be prolific, but it hasn't made a thousand games or anywhere close yet. So. The one gem within those probably hasn't been created yet. What you're saying is this company is just a hidden gem waiting to be found. I'm saying that this hidden gem, if it exists, and I do not accept (laughs) yet that it exists, must be searched out by the most diligent, those who are willing. No, I enjoy the idea of, I am going to suffer to find this potential gem. I have just gone through 16 pieces of utterly loathsome, irredeemable, worthless junk. But perhaps, perhaps the 17th one will not be utterly irredeemable. Perhaps this will be the one that is tolerable. Maybe. I I feel like you just described yourself, Mike, because you played through so many (laughs) games. You're like, you're the guy who plays games no matter how good, no matter how bad, no matter what they are. You are a machine. games there are. Three. I have reviewed three Idea Factory games, and they were all worthless. When the best one of them was Chaos Wars, that's not a good thing. I just, maybe you just haven't found the good idea. You know, like, Idea Factory produces a bunch of idea games, so there's good ideas and there's bad ideas. And, and, and you know, three is not a great sample size. Yeah, that's a horrible yeah. sample size. So if they're pumping out a thousand, what do we say, a thousand? Yeah. You know, three is... In, in order to meet the monkeys on the typewriters... Uh, idiom, then yeah, we have to have a thousand Idea Factory games. And I don't think Idea Factory has even reached a hundred. I mean, have you played Hyper Dimension Neptunio 7 yet? I mean, people like it. Checking out the PSN Winter Sale. I think there's about a thousand Hyper Dimension Neptunia games Hyper Devotion (laughs) Noi Goddess, Hyper Dimension Neptunia Victory 5. I mean, it goes on and on, my friend. The well is deep. Just keep going. Right. Yeah, we just keep adding more words to the end. (laughs) Eventually, one of these Um, are going to be a good game. Oh, no. I don't seem to have one of those in my Steam library. Uh, oh, I'll fix that right now. Our sample size is actually four because I consider your experience with CrossEdge to be absolutely applicable. Kay. Wasn't that a great idea? No, no, but maybe they just missed the mark on one game. You know, just you know, I just got the bad one. You know? one. That's a horrible sample size. That's even worse than three. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, it's just got to be, you just got to find the right idea. That's just, it's there. It's waiting for you, my friend. Um, Yes, yes. I I know that we are desperately in need of additional Idea Factory reviews on the site. I will... 
Have you seen Dragonstar? Have you seen Dragonstar Varnier? That looks good. You know, have you seen the screenshots on that? I think that's their good idea. It's coming. Oh my goodness, I have not been paying attention to the latest Idea Factory. What is the matter with me? Oh wait, I found about 10,000 other things that interested me more, and I can broaden that list if you give me a little time. (laughs) They're coming out with a Super Neptunia RPG game just for the Nintendo Switch. This (gasps) game's just... Wait... (laughs) Hey, that one's not even made by Idea Factory, so it might be It's good. on their website, right? Uh, it's develop- some Canadian developer. Yeah, you're right. Artisian Studios. I guess I'm just... They are, what are they, publishing it? Now they're yeah, publishers? Yeah, they're publishing it. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Well, Idea Factory owns that valuable IP. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got to be a good IP. It's so valuable. They just keep making more games out of it. When you come up with a thousand ideas, sometimes you just got to farm it out and be like, listen, man. Got to make it happen. Got to make it happen. How has Idea Factory been in business for all these years if it doesn't have the ability to exploit all of its ideas? Oh, I think it can be summed up with one word. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, they made Mary Skelter? Yeah. Nightmares? Oh, well, there we go. I played that for like a hot minute. That one's got like this. <laughs> no, no, hear it out, Mike. Hear it out, Mike. You got oh, this. You played it for a hot minute. What is a hot minute? <laughs> it just means like a little bit, right? Long enough to get to know some of the mechanics and stuff. And oh boy, if I wasn't in the middle of like my Dragon Quest one at the time, man, I would have been totally hooked. Check it out, Mike. There's this turn based. And there's a turn-based battle system, which I love. Class changes, but the most coolest thing of all is there's this blood-licking transformation system where the girls in your team, they, like, lick blood, and it keeps them from freaking... It's it's hard to explain, but it's just... It's so deep. It's so deep. It's all about licking blood. You know what's great? That is the one game I bought on the winter sales. There you go, and it's on winter sale. <laughs> Pick it up now on Steam. It's everywhere. I mean, On the Vita. On the Vita. I bought it for, I bought it for the Vita. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's on the Vita. Uh, <laughs> do, we, do we have a review of it? Uh, no, actually, I don't think we do. Oh, well, let's get our good reviewer, Mr. Mike Meeky, on that. It's on sale for 16 bucks on Steam. I haven't given him a Garrett birthday present yet. Let's just send that right over. <laughs> uh, you know, if you gave it to me on Vita, I might... I might be less inclined to immediately ignore it forever. But Mike, Mike, 87% of 149 Steam users gave this a positive. Thumbs up, Mike. 87%, dude. Did you watch the video on Digital Homicide Studios, Phil? No. Oh, well, then you didn't see all the many Steam users who like to leave positive reviews because they got great trade-in value from things. (laughs) I'm sure Bad Idea Factory would never stoop to such underhanded tactics. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. This sounds like a good business idea. Oh, man. We went down the Idea Factory hole tonight, didn't we? Can can I do that? Can I gift a game through Steam, guys? I mean, through PSN to his Vita. Is that a thing? I don't think so. Oh, man. If I could pull that shit off. You know what? Anna Marie plays played this. Yes, she I, I has. Was, yes, I, I'm reading her, and that's what convinced me to buy it when it went on sale. Really? I messaged her in December, yeah. I was looking back, I'm like, this is also very familiar. I'm, uh-huh. I probably won't play this. She really liked the game, yeah. Well, there you go, Thanks. Mike. Look at that. Uh, and Marie and I have question. occasionally had disagreements. I, uh, I respect <laughs> her. She's, she's a very capable person. Just, of course, you know that Anne-Marie... Anne-Marie 
also has very strong opinions on certain games. I know that she has refused to do a Legend of Dragoon backtrack because she finds that a... I believe she used a paraphrase of this is a piece of absolute worthless crap and no one should ever remember it in any way. I think... I don't think she would dispute that I am getting the gist of her argument across on that. That's a very fair characterization of her argument, yes. To be fair to her, though... You don't exactly have people lining up for that one, do you? Okay, okay, guys, this is super exciting. <laughs> it's actually cheaper on the Vita than it is on Steam. On Steam, is thirty five percent off, and it's like sixteen bucks. But on PSN, it's eighty percent off, which somehow that math works differently. It's only eight bucks. That's why eight I bought bucks. it. Mickey, I'm sending you eight bucks right now. You have to buy it because I looked it up. I can't gift it to you as much as I want to. I can't give to. I can just send you the eight bucks, and you have to purchase it yourself. Because, <laughs> because I. Christmas. Merry Christmas, Mike. Uh, thanks, Phil. <laughs> I will try hard. Not give you any additional Neptunia games for a little while to uh, gift you in turn. No, no, I'm. You know, I'm totally okay on Neptunia games, Mike. This is this is for your Vita. No, you're not. Is... You don't have all of them. You know, you need all of them to understand the intricacies, I... the ins and outs, the major, major complications that. The Neptunia storyline is no doubt going through. You would not understand it if you didn't have each and every one of them to play through so that you can compare the lore, the fascinating, inscrutable, highly complex Neptunia lore. I haven't even looked at at whatever the Wikipedia version of Neptunia is, but I'm sure it's very complicated with many, many pages because it's just so worth learning. Well... You know, it, it probably is, Mike, but they it doesn't have a licking mechanic. And, 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 and. <laughs> There's the line. And, How do you know? That's, that's, you that's where. You haven't all of them. I, I've read the reviews, Mike. There's, there's no licking mechanic. That's totally, that's actually, that's totally Mary Skelter's thing. Totally. And, 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 and you're going to find out because you're going to see Jay Bucks right now. I cannot you don't wait to see know that. that one of the Neptunia games didn't have the licking mechanic recycled because Nep- because Idea Factory might occasionally decide to reuse some ideas. I really think no, this is a new idea. This is coming from the factory of ideas. This is a new like they were like, how can we make this dungeon crawler different than Etrian Odyssey? Oh wait, I got it. Licking mechanics. <laughs> totally. You gotta set yourself apart. Yeah, how else? How, what else do you expect from the House of Ideas? You know, when you phrase it that way, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Etrian Odyssey does not have a licking mechanic. No. And I don't think Etrian Odyssey Nexus is going to have one either. <laughs> Which Man. is a serious failing. You're... Everyone who has been playing Etrian Odyssey over the years thought, why can't I get into this game more? Oh, it's because my characters can't lick each other. Mm-hmm. They can't lick blood off each other in order to gain more stamina or passion or whatever you have, whatever licking blood gains you. I guess it just gains you the nice taste of iron in your mouth. It's deep here, my friend. It goes deep. That much is clear. Mm -hmm. We have gone very, very deep. Yeah. I feel like we got sidetracked from our normal final lap procedure. I'm looking. I'm looking up your PayPal address right now. I'm sorry. It's, 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 
it's, it's taken me a hot minute to find it, but I will find it. I'm sitting on the you know. PSN store trying to figure out how many Hyperdimension Neptunia games are on the Vita. I mean, well, there's a lot on the Vita. Those games? Oh yeah, they they, they made were, a home on a Vita. They, they weren't just ports; they were remakes. Uh huh. Yeah, you gotta get. They had the RE in the title. You know, I, mm-hmm. you knew it was a remake. Yeah. No. Uh, it's, heck, how? How have I survived? How has the site survived so far without a review of whatever the the great curry god game is that is the only Mado Monogatari game ever localized in English? I don't know. I haven't <laughs> bought it, though. Apparently someone needs to buy it for me so that I can eventually review it for the site because that is a great gap that needs to be filled. Well, I know our site's not going to be happy until, until our readers can, can read your input about licking. Are you going to be more specific than that, or just licking in general? <laughs> Do you want me to rewatch that old Tootsie Pop ad so that I can give you my description of how licking works? Oh my gosh, that sounds like the perfect like. You can see that now is like your 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 tagline for for the review. How many licks does it take to get to the center of Mary Kelter Skelter? <laughs> <laughs> break a tooth on it <laughs> if you're giving me a digital copy i don't think there's anything to break a tooth on i'm gonna bite through my vita for it my vita for it oh my gosh this is so bad this is really <laughs> gone off the rails uh it's it's gotta be in here i know is i get you you have to send it to me i swear yeah i had your address in here anyway uh let's do our <laughs> let's do our, let's do our let's do our let's do our well before we do a round table oh my gosh no let's just do a round table let's just uh who's here who's first new guy new guy's here i'm here i'm here <laughs> what you got new guy uh, other than purchasing purchasing good old mary there and uh getting some licks in sometime <laughs> next year <laughs> um, started the likes does it to get to the center of Mary Skelter. The world may never know. Not, if we don't review it, how would they? I mean, what trust IGN? They didn't get to the end of it. Nobody's probably looked to the end of it yet. <laughs> no Are one got. Sure? Would you say? Would you say no one got to the climax of Mary Skelter? Oh no! <laughs> I, I would dare say that maybe. <laughs> Are you saying that IGN's review is not the? informative that it possibly could be i might have hinted at that yes are you are you calling into question their journalism skills their integrity yes i I very well may be Mm -mm -mm. what's the world come to i can't you can't trust ig and who can you trust Oh, that's a website oh gosh i was just talking about this kapaku what what is that one review games or whatever and some guy had a review of all the jrpgs that he had played this year and somewhere at the beginning of it was a note like yeah i really usually don't like jrpgs but here's all the ones i played in 2018 and what i thought about them unsurprisingly it was like well this one is pretty much trash and this one's pretty much trash and well this one started out okay but it was pretty much trash i was like why did you write this because yeah. because you were employed for the site and you had to write it because you were assigned this game regardless of how much you wanted to play it. That's the best <laughs> way to get the good reviews. <laughs> Pay for them. You know, if you assign me, just here, review Madden 2019. Okay, I'll play it. I'll tell you uh, 
yeah, they sure are playing football on that field. <laughs> uh, I just well, want to I... give an update to our listeners because I know they're sitting on the edge of their seats. Do not worry. I found Mike's PayPal address. <laughs> it's good. You can sit to him right now with a little message on it. How many licks does it take? Uh <laughs> <laughs> and, and Mike, you might want to jump on that sooner rather than later. I have no clue how long that sale's going to last. Going on for a few weeks. You might it's, have it's it. the PSN winter sale. Um, back to like January third. Okay, fair so, enough. Something like that. All right. I, I, I do you have... realize? I just looked. IGN didn't even review Mary Skelter. Get out! Get out! <laughs> They're slipping, and that's saying something. <laughs> I, uh, my faith in IGN, previously boundless, has been besmirched and shattered. I, I, I just can't, I just can't continue for a little while. I, if I can't have faith in IGN, what can I have faith in? Eight dollars coming to you right now. Yeah, it's on. It's already there. <laughs> just check your email. It's there. <laughs> totally. Besides purchasing uh, that lovely gem of a game for eighty percent off. Um, I started the month playing the uh, Persona 3 Dancing in the Moonlight game, and I did uh-huh. that for review for the site. I had never played one of those games before, so that was a gameplay mechanics. I actually enjoyed it. Um, ne- it never played one of the dancing games, or never played, uh, never much played rhythm games? Either. Oh, okay. Back to the Wii, I had Rock Band and whatever, but I, I never had... I mean, people to play with, so it was like I was always just, you know, tapping on the drum myself and uh, doing a couple things. So, and then that was it. I just, I think I had two games for the Wii, Guitar Hero, like the original Guitar Hero or the original Rock Band, and that was it. So I haven't touched the genre like that in, uh, gosh, 10 years or so. I like the game. I like the gameplay mechanic. Um, I downloaded the demo on PS4, but uh, got the review copy on Vita and liked it way better on the Vita. Um, Gameplay was solid. Um, I had fun playing it. I went past the 10 hours it took me just to roll credits. Um, tried to do a little bit of unlocking everything. I didn't go crazy. Unlock every song on the highest difficulty or all the ridiculous amount of unlockable costumes and whatever. Um, but I definitely played it about 50% more than I needed to just for the review. Um, it's me to go. I bought a used copy of the Persona 4 one. Because the one thing I was missing in my review, I called it uh, just half a game. I was missing story. I mean, I know that wasn't why everybody buys it, but for the RPG elements, they just weren't a lot there. There was no story. Actually, I'm thinking good <clears throat> mechanics over story, but it, it actually, I referenced, Mr. Carpenter, I referenced your article on that. Yeah, I remember reading that, yeah. <laughs> but, and... For so for a rhythm game, it was great, but I, I just felt with the Persona cast in there, you could have had something. Uh, kind of reading between the lines in your review and Zach's review of the Persona Five one, it seemed like that was really one game that they split into two and charged double for. Oh yes, <laughs> you yeah, know, I like mean, if if it had just been the music from both games, even without the story, it may have you know may have held it, but it sounded like yeah, they were kind of they were kind of just bilking. Persona fans who are just crazed for, you know, getting, getting, you know, getting the music and getting that rhythm game. Oh, very much so. I mean, like I said, I like the mechanics, but I rolled credits at nine hours and 57 minutes. So, I mean, granted, I, I could have gone back and just kept playing and playing and playing and playing the same songs over and over again. But at some point you're like, okay. And 
quite a bit of those songs were on there twice or three times each. Yeesh. So at the end of the day, you're at maybe 15, 16 songs, and how much gameplay are you going to get out of 15, 16 songs? Yeah. So, I mean, enjoyable gameplay. I've played it a few more times since. Uh, my son likes watching over my shoulder and all this stuff flashing on the screen going crazy. So um, if you go into it knowing that's what you're going to get for it, you know, that's fine. But the people who paid like $100 for both of those, and I'm like, Ooh, I, I really hope you like four or five songs that are on there three times because <laughs> that's what half the game is. <laughs> it's steep. Those Japanese, like those Japanese game prices are, are starting to come over here, you know, for the, those kind of little niche things. Yeah, the Atlas tax is uh, back in full effect. Totally. Move over Squeen Enix tax. There's a new partner in town. He's a rob your paycheck. And speaking of Squeenix, um, finally rolled the final, 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 final credits on Dragon Quest Eleven. Um, in ten hours before I finally uh, beat the Act Three, as a lot of people are calling it, section, and got the really cool ending. I will say that was a really cool ending that wrapped up what they said they were going to do. They wanted this to be a bridge between all the older games, and they did that very well. I mean, I won't spoil anything, but it was really cool. The end credits um, include a lot of clips from old games and stuff, and well, how they did all that, um, doing side quests and final Act 3 stuff forever. Um, the third act of the game comes after you technically beat it. Dragon Quest games, it's not a, it's not a hard storyline. You save the world. Hey. Um, and then there is an entire 40-hour postgame with that. So um, that actually has story. That's the cool thing. It's not just like postgame added on. Um, you could do a lot of postgame stuff and just keep grinding in never-ending grottos and whatever. Um, story. You could go back and visit every town. Every town ended up having another problem. So you could go back and actually get story stuff and be dealing with this and there was new areas to open and just a lot of really cool stuff that they did that game so um i think i may be about done and set ready to put it aside except for the few times my kids get really jealous and want me to play it with them um but yeah 110 hours i definitely think i got my money's worth with that one shoot um, like i i really want to get i i, I keep I haven't had time to start it. I want to start it, but I got to admit the length of that game is just daunting. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's 70, 60, 70 hours. If you just want to hit the first credits, save the world. Phew. Yeah, you'll be going. But I'm, there's no way I'm going to platinum it. I've got friends who have platinumed it, and they're at like 200 hours. It's like, nope, I'm good. Yeah, I just don't have that sort of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I mean, this is. I could probably from... do it better if it was more easily portable. I get and, that. And, and there's a solution for that now. They finally announced the Switch version. That's true. That's true. Dragon Quest Eleven S, I believe they're putting the S on there. Yeah. Um, but still, well, no yeah, word really about a North American version of that. Correct. Now, and that... they really they really don't put that out until the uh, it actually gets released in Japan. Yeah. With Dragon Quest, they really wait on. Then they'll have some more information for us. I must ask, Matt. Sorry. Is there anything referencing Dragon Quest X? No. I mean, I, I think there was a little, like, in there for uh, Dragon Quest X in the credits. But, I mean, it was no more, well, the credits are rolling by. Directed by, blah, 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 blah. And you got a little Dragon Quest X stuff going on in the corner. Okay. So, um, 
I can't remember if I talked about this in the last backtrack I was on. Um, one of the producers of 10 or 11 or something came out and said um, they've explored the possibility of maybe bringing 10 to the West offline version. Up, I don't know, they're up to like version four over there now. They've got, I mean, it's been over there, what, six years, something. But they talked just kind of briefly, one comment, um, cast or something, They interview they did and said that, oh, you know, Perhaps we could one day bring it to the West experience. Probably depends upon how well Eleven's been selling. Yeah, and, I mean, like, that's sold very well. They hit, you know, they announced their 4 million worldwide sales well after um, the North American release, so. Considering how, considering how long that uh, offline mobile version of Final Fantasy Eleven that's been in development for, like, six or seven years by some Korean company, I, I don't have my hopes high for that. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, that's that. That's one that I've uh, I'm holding my breath for that Dragon Quest Twelve, which has never even been hinted at or mentioned. But obviously, I'm sure it's in the works, and we'll see that before we hear anything more about Dragon Quest Ten. Probably, unfortunately. Yeah, but will we fee- will we see Final Fantasy Sixteen anytime soon? Ooh. <laughs> when are we going to see Seven? <laughs> <laughs> when it's ready. It's a very difficult game to remake if we're going to make the graphics look modern. I'm sure that's exactly And redo all the gameplay. I bet you if they farmed that out to Idea Factory, it would have been done a long time ago. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what that company's known for. Yeah. No, wait. Idea Factory has the ideas. Square Enix has delay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They already got the idea. Here's our idea. Final Fantasy VII. Okay, so that's true. Um... Actually, Dragon Quest XI, since I've had to play it up on the big screen um, for 110 hours, I've got kids two and five, and they like the characters so much. We've been getting into, as a family, making stuff with perler beads, um, those little beads that you melt together, and they make, like, coasters or whatever. And going on Japanese websites, I've found, since Dragon Quest XI, they got it in lovely th- um, 2D on the 3DS as well, the character sprites, and... It took about a month, a um, little bit every couple nights, but I re- I did the entire cast of Dragon Quest Eleven pixelated, and they look pretty cool. So I'm gonna do, and the kids will run around and after one of my kids, and now they both argue that they're both named after him, and I'm like, well, that's the whole point of a Dragon Quest game. The hero's named after you, or whatever you want. I have moved on with the. Uh, PlayStation 4, though, working on a new um, game for review. And this is one, kind of like our Idea Factory talk. It was um, Attica's Chemco is on the name. It's a mobile game, but they uh, are just, what is it? They're doing the uh, release of it. They're, they didn't just, uh, they didn't develop it. But, and Phil, you can butcher this name along with me. I don't know. It's a Marianin Tavern Story, Patty and the Hungry God. Sounds good to me. I never remember it. Every time I Google something about it, it's Tavern Story, Patty and the Hungry God. Um, it's kind of a, is it Bar Story? Adventure Bar Story? Yeah. It was a 3DS game. Little, God, was that, I know Circle put it out, published it, and I'm trying to remember who made it. And that's totally escaping me right now. I think it begins with the letter R, because I see it every time I load up. Because they made oh, this one. Ridion. Ridion, yeah. It. There you go. They they also did the uh, oh crap the uh, the tactical games that were on Switch that I liked that I reviewed earlier this year. Mercenary well, Saga. Uh, yeah, I'll say this game's pretty fun. I mean, I've got 
about 20 hours into it. I think I'm getting close to it. My tavern is a, a eight star right now and 10 is the top. Um, but it, it's a port. Uh, they made a PS port of the mobile mm-hmm. game that came out and it's all, I, I think the character sprites look like they got upscaled way too much or just fine. I mean, it could have been a cheaper PS4 version of a game anyway. So I'm liking it. It plays, I guess, a lot like an Atelier game. You're making recipes. You're, you can make stuff, food to take into battle, and you got to sell some of the food to make some money and keep going. Um, your characters do not get experience in battle. You have to eat food for experience because, you know. Oh, gosh. Sure. It's like Zvi. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one mechanic that I keep forgetting about, actually. actually like, I'll go and battle and go through some thing. areas. And yeah, then I'm, suddenly I'm like, man, I'm getting I'm getting wasted by a bunch of these monsters. And then I'll realize, oh, I've gone through like you five haven't been eating enough. <laughs> I, I'm sitting there with like a million gold or whatever, and I'm like, wow, that's because I've sold everything and used none of it to make my people stronger. So uh, it, the the battles are turn based. That's what hooked me right at the beginning. Um, although, and gosh, the AI because I'm just through some of these trash battles that are not earning me experience anyway. And really, oh, yeah, I got another onion for beating this monster. I've got 500 onions sitting back in the tavern. I just want to keep getting through um, because it's random battles. Yay, those are always fun. Hmm. Don't you want to eat 300 onions in quick succession? <laughs> well, you know, apparently I want my character to see none of them. <laughs> now, that might cost a little, have a little too much reflux there. <laughs> They've got two different AIs. You can have it just fight with your weapons, or you can actually let it do the skills or whatever. And both of them, sometimes, they, they like to attack all the monsters evenly so that nobody ever dies until the end. Or you've got somebody with, like, one health, and your healer's like, yeah, no, I'm gonna cast like the biggest spell on this one over here that heals it, that doesn't even hurt it. So, it, casting water spells on crabs and fire spells oh, on lava got, monsters and everything. I'm like, oh my god. It's got Persona 3 AI. Gotcha. <laughs> so, uh, I'll wrap up pretty soon. But the other game I'm really enjoying, because I love a good mobile game, and I bought myself a new 3DS XL this year, because um, I've got a whole stack of Atlas games sitting around. But finally got into Alliance Alive. Ooh, yeah, that's another good game. Yep, I think I'm like 26, 27 hours into it. Uh, around chapter 34, I'm climbing some gigantic rainbow tower at this point. It was taking quite a bit today, but I'm really liking it. Um, getting lost in the world and talking to everybody, which is something I actually don't do enough of in RPGs. I'm always like, oh, where do I go next? But in this one, just getting the recruits, because you're building up an alliance. You need to make the alliance alive. Um, that's that you get from recruiting people and the different five guilds or whatever that are in the game. I think it took me 10 hours to get to chapter 20 and then yeah. point. And I almost spent another like eight hours just on chapter 20. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, have I done anything lately? I was like, wow, man, 18 hours. This is really taking a while. That's um, about where I got to in it. And then like a review game came up and I haven't gotten back to it, but yeah, I got to where like the world opened up and you got the, uh, Got the ship where you could fly around anywhere. Like, it, it was a really cool, you know, like, it's one of those games that's obviously not huge budget, but the, it's done really well with what they've got. Oh, correct. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I find hard faults with it. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm I'm kind of getting annoyed with the uh, 
the system because you know everything levels up or whatever on the uh, kind of yeah the the saga style games where you're kind of random on what what whether you unlock new skills or not yeah and and I feel that this is a lot less random yeah when you're when you're fighting which is I guess good and bad when I'm fighting lower level stuff nothing ever levels up I don't learn any new skills I nothing happens it's just like yeah I beat him I got ten gold money is like really scarce in this game find this one big monster that's hanging out next to a town that I can just fight him, get a bunch of these talent points, kill, my hit points are going up, my SP is going up, then I can run into the town and heal and just fight him again. So I'm kind of, I've just started avoiding pretty much every encounter, knowing that sooner or later, I'm going to keep running into these monsters that in the background, it's uh, just really, uh, you know, the randomness is turned way up. So I really like that game. I, I should probably be finishing that game here. Got the next week and a half off, so plenty of time to finish a couple of these games. It's up for review in 2019. Yep, start start thinking about the game of the year stuff that's coming up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, love your features. So uh, I'll be right. And I wrote wrote a little something for your uh, newest one. Yeah, that feature that I'm working on that I'm way behind on. <laughs> <laughs> so I won't. I won't. I won't say the game I wrote about, but uh, there's something else coming. Yep, there are features in the works. <laughs> okay, I think I've taken a, quite a bit of time. I'll turn it over to whoever's next. Uh, other guy who's not so new. The Carpenter Sli- one. Slightly less new guy, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. To the Carpenter's catalog. We- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that money to start rolling in. Oh, man. As well you should. You are owed a lot of money, good sir. Every time somebody puts they long to be close to you on the radio, you are getting uh, half a cent or whatever. <laughs> it adds up. Yeah, it doesn't add up as much as it used to with the current state of radio, but oh well. Um, yeah, I haven't been – oh, God. Like life has been keeping me busy with, you know, like I'm, a, I'm in the middle of trying to move and – other stuff has been going on, so I'm good. Yeah, I'm working on a, a feature for the site, but that's kind of running behind right now. And then because of that as well, I haven't had as much time as I'd like to play play games lately. But you know, other than playing a little bit of Starflight to kind of refresh my memory for this podcast, I've been playing a little bit of Tokyo Xanadu on the on the uh, Vita. Mm. And you know, like I'm I, 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 I'm a big Falcom fan, and I've played. A lot of Falcom games the last couple of years, and Tokyo Xanadu, at least, I'm, I'm almost halfway through with it, and it is probably the most mediocre Falcom game I've played. <laughs> and, and it's just, it's not bad, it's, it's frustratingly blah, you know? Like, it does not do anything particularly well and it doesn't do anything particularly bad everything is just kind of average the story is um holy cow just a total ripoff of like persona tropes basically it, i was gonna say it's supposed to be falcom's persona right yeah and it very much is i mean it's you can you can tell they were just totally like hey why don't we rip off characters from Persona 3 and 4 and use the same basic idea of, like, kids in high school fighting fighting demons in this alternate reality. And it's, it, you know, it to me, it just kind of... I know there are a lot of people that really like it, and, and I, I get why, but 
I don't know. It just has not really clicked with me that much. Uh, I think some of that is just like coming off of playing, you know, playing Ease 8 this year. I played, um, I just got done not too long ago with, uh, what was it? Nayuta no Kiseki, which is another, like, was a Japan only, uh, well, it's supposed to be a Kiseki, uh, a trail spinoff, but actually it was really just more like a Zvi game that had really good combat. And so I played like these two games. These two Falcom games back-to-back, they're just, like, amazing action RPG combat. And then I play uh, Tokyo Xanadu, and it's just kind of, like, mediocre, you know? It's like, well, and, and, and some of that isn't totally surprising because this game is made in the same engine as uh, the Trails of Cold Steel games, mm-hmm. which are turn-based games. Uh, most, most, assur- most assuredly not action RPGs. And you can tell, everything in this game, you can tell it's made in the Trails of Cold Steel engine. I mean, down to the fact that there are some characters, heck, there's one character, just they just straight up reused Toa from the Trails of Cold Steel game. She's just in it. <laughs> <laughs> like, right there at the beginning, there she is. I'm like, oh, okay, there she is, yeah. Wow, alrighty. No, even other character models where you just see, like, wait, that that's an NPC from Cold Steel. That's kind of weird. <laughs> Imitation, the best form of flattery. Well, I mean, you know, it's their own game, so they can do whatever they want, but it does come off as kind of weird. They're flattering themselves. They're flattering themselves. Get on this, we're just going to use it again. <laughs> well, you know, they are a small company, so they're, they're, I'm, you know, some of that is just trying to uh, manage their budget and manage their time. But How's the, how's the uh, battle, the gameplay? it's like I said, it's like, it's okay. It's not as, you know, I just got done with Nayuta no Kiseki just like a, a few weeks before starting this. And that game has like really tight, fast paced combat, you know, like when, when, when you see that, when you see an enemy just start to make a big attack, you know, you hit the uh, dodge button and your, your character just dodges straight away. It's really easy to do. And in this one, especially coming right off of that, you can tell, like, there's a little bit of sluggishness. There's a little bit of lag to it in comparison to something like that. So it's almost like I almost got to anticipate the, uh, like, enemies and the bosses to where, where they're actually going to try and attack me. It's just a little bit... Nothing. Nothing's terrible, but it's just... Everything like that just feels just a little bit off. Especially in comparison to some of the better Falcom action RPGs, I think that's the main thing. It's just like it compares poorly to the other really good Falcom action RPGs, and so it just kind of feels like, eh, this is okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not terrible, but it's just kind of okay. And so, you know, like I, I guess I was kind of disappointed by that. I, I was, I was expecting something a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I've but, heard good things about it. Yeah. Yeah, like, like I wouldn't tell you not to play it. It's not bad. It's just kind of like, eh, you know, it's all right. <laughs> the music's still really good. I feel, I feel like in a day and well. age where most of us have these huge backlogs, and I've got a lot of things in my backlog that I know are really awesome games or games that I really want to play that, that what you're telling me is just basically don't buy this because I'm really never going to get around to it. I, I would, what I would bad. tell you... What I would tell you is that, like, if this game was not on my Vita and instead was on my PS4, I probably would have already moved on. Yeah. It being on Vita helps a lot because you can just play it in small little chunks and chip away at it. Sure. 
Absolutely. But yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that this game would be holding my attention if we're on PS4. Fair enough. But yeah, that ability is incredibly handy. Yes, it is. It's so handy. But that's about all I've had time for. I've been so busy Hashtag with other stuff. Handheld. <laughs> Very much so. Well, we know that Mac would support us in this. Totally. Mm-hmm. I, I've been trying to post screenshots with that team handheld of the Xanadu playthrough. So there's some of that littering my timeline on Twitter. How in the hell do I have a copy of Mugen Soul Z in my <laughs> PSN account? Who in the hell did that? <laughs> Holy that hell! No, it was... I remember Mac was trying to give Mujin Soul Z to Wheels for a long time. And eventually, I think that code just started being thrown around to everybody who would take it. And you may have been given it at some I, point, Phil. I got a, I got, because I'm, I'm just looking through the, the, the winner sale. And, you know, when you're logged into the PlayStation Store, it'll tell you if I already own a game so you don't buy it again. It gives you the option. I can download it to all of my PS3s, but somehow I've got Mugen Soul Z's. <laughs> quick all trivia, quick trivia thing here, boys and girls. 304 ratings, 4.5 stars. Wow. PSN users are like IGN people. I, I don't know. Just 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 whatever but that's worth. Really nothing rated low on the PSN Store. I, I have no clue how that ended up in my account. I didn't even know it was in my account. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm digressing. Anyways, keep going. No, that's all I got, man. Yeah, okay. Someone, someone else is going to have to, going to have to make, going to have to continue on. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Mugen Soul Seas wants to continue on for us. Mr. Minky, have you played Mugen Soul Z? No, I haven't. Am I going to? No, I don't. I have no plans to play Mugen Soul Z. Or Mugen Souls. It's four dollars. It's four dollars, Mike. And and I, I can right. go to the thrift store and probably find a bag of toys that'll cost four dollars and give me more enjoyment. <laughs> a bag of band aids. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. it'll be a ba- it'll be a bag with those little green and tan soldiers, and I can buy that. I may even have to pay less than four dollars for it, and I'll almost certainly enjoy it more. And you don't get the licking mechanics, so eh, it's a pass. All right, but. Yes, I have been playing other things. Um, you know what? I finally buckled down and wrote that review of Muramasa Rebirth. And you know what? I think I did a fairly good job on selling just how awesome that game is. Let me ask you a question, Mike. Do you feel, I saw your review, sounded very positive, but with the rubber hits the road, would you spend $14 on it? Now, now, Matt, I seem to recall that you looked at that review also. Does this, does this strike your memory as the same? Uh, it seemed great. I mean, it seemed like a $14 worthwhile spend. <laughs> I think that, yes, everyone can, well, most people, maybe not Phil, can agree that I did a good job of justifying $14 would be well spent on Muramasa Rebirth. <laughs> that I is... might even go as high as nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, it Quite is. It, but it is. It is. It is. It is a $34 game, according to PSN. It is currently, with if you're a PS Plus member, it's uh, $13.99. That's worth it. Yeah, it's probably a little more yeah. if you're not a PS Plus. It's probably, I think on a lot of these sales, it's 50% off or whatever it is, but it's 10% more if you're a PS. So I, when I look online, I just see the PSN one. So your mileage may vary. But yeah, about 13 15 bucks. Uh, the Genroku Legends portion will be extra. That's the DLC, but it's worth it. It... 
Okay. Now I closed it. Uh, so is that you still have to get that even if it's the Muramasa Rebirth Complete Collection? You know, I'm not certain on that it's because set... I got I got the cartridge of Muramasa Rebirth, so I had to get the Genroku Legends separately. Ah. So if you get all of it digitally, then you, you'll probably get a better deal. Yeah, it says that includes all four of the Genroku Legends. Okay, and then yes, what... that is complete. So there you go. So for fourteen bucks, boys and girls, you get it all. Ah, let's see. Like twenty two ninety nine now, and you know what? I am going to go out on a very short, thick limb and say that you will have a better time with Muramasa Rebirth Complete than you will with any given Neptunia game. Oh, you went there. I did go there. I think you just made Neptunia cry. Wait a minute. The Neptunia games are on sale for like four or five dollars. Yeah. Would you get more enjoyment with that than any three Neptunia games? Woo, triple value. Not having played the Neptunia games, I can't give you a definitive answer here, but I can tell you that Muramasa Rebirth rocks in pretty much every aspect, while I don't think anyone has ever gone out to say, the Neptunia games are game changers. They have made me see things in a new light. I love these games, and I'm going to keep revisiting. You know... Now somebody's going to find a YouTube account of somebody who's just dedicated to the intricacies of the Neptunia lore, and I don't need to see it. So, spare me. Oh, there you go. Okay. And I need to buckle down and finish my review of Pillars of Eternity, because after playing through the White March, I experienced more stuff than our very own Scott Walker did when he reviewed it, and I'm trying to get back into the habit of reviewing everything I play anyway, because, you know, it's good for the site. And it helps my own fallible memory. And of course, John is off dealing with the horrible weather of his region right now, because I actually wanted to talk about the white market, since he should give it a chance when he can. It adds a lot of extra material to Pillars of Eternity, material that I found very interesting. It's set in a very snowy setting, which immediately is different than anything else you saw in the core game. You get some new characters. You get a very interesting one called Devil of Karak, who is a woman whose soul was transplanted into a golem. And it was transplanted into a golem because she was being, no, she was being hung for having been murdering people. And as a character, she will have some very interesting things to say to you. I liked her. (laughs) Anything to be memorable. Well, hey, you don't get a whole lot of, yes, I admit it. I killed a lot of people. characters on your team in rpgs yeah, no you usually saving that for the tv show dexter you know <laughs> and yeah now that i have actually finished pillars of eternity i could of course speak regarding the inclusion and the many things that i saw in the good 20 or so hours of the core game that was left after we recorded our last episode but i'm not so good at just talking about games willy-nilly without somebody to bounce off of So I'll have to refrain from that for now. And then there's the thing that Alex Severin Mira gave me to review next, which is World of Final Fantasy. Uh, Head Edition? Hmm? Come back there, Matt. You were saying something. I said the World of Final Fantasy Bobblehead Edition? Well, isn't it already Bobblehead Edition? (laughs) Yeah, uh, it looks so freaking weird to see how are why is 70% of your mass in your head people how do you not just fall down and never 
again with your neck's broken. Well, that was my mom's question every time she watched me play a Super Nintendo Final Fantasy game. You know, she's <laughs> she she could not stand watching me play video games till Tomb Raider because you know those were realistic proportions, right? So, but the big <laughs> I was, wait a minute. I'm thinking of females enjoying Tomb Raider and the proportions. Of, never mind. Well, she couldn't get over the fact that the, the, she couldn't get over the chibi look, the big head look. But if you had a lady who had other proportions different, well, that was completely okay. Angular pyramid. I feel like this says a lot about your mom. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> All right, Phil. Now let's tell me what your mom would think about that look. What? Actually, oh. look at it. It's, it's, Those it's legs weird. are like the size of the eyeball. Oh yeah, she would never. No, <laughs> she would just. Size of the eyeball. No, she would just walk away. She'd walk away. When you look at it, Phil, do you wonder how do they actually walk with their tiny bodies that look to be outweighed at least double by their heads? Well, I wonder, and then I remember. Oh yes, yeah, Final Fantasy magic explains everything. <laughs> they walk through the power of cuteness. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. One day we're going to see these chibi things that their heads are so big, their bodies just look like little dots. The bodies just keep getting smaller and smaller with these things, really. Looks they like do. a balloon that you would buy. A balloon head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, they look like Funko Land, don't they? They, they look exactly like those Funko Land figures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, aside from that mild issue of me not accepting that gravity has suddenly stopped working in the way it usually does. Uh, Oh, and the fact that while your two leads can transmute into what they call giant form, which, you know, they still have ridiculous Tetsuya Nomura design, but they actually have somewhat accurate proportions. But all of the characters you meet from older Final Fantasy games, like Edgar or... Eiko, or Squall, or Yuna, or Riku, or Rydia, even. They're all in that super chibi look, and you can't change them to their standard proportions because we're in the world of Final Fantasy, baby. Nobody likes standard proportions here. You need to be you need to be 75% head, no less. <laughs> uh, so, barring the premise which is ridiculous. And also barring that the story, and what what am I in? Chapter 16 or so has had maybe three or four minutes of interesting material and several hours worth of, what the honk was that? Oh, that looks so honking bad. And especially Tama. Tama, the talker of the funny ways, the funny speaking way of... I can't even do it right without a script in front of me. I just can't add a needless the in front of every other. But that's how she freaking speaks. And I don't know why it had to be included that way because it irritates me every time she. There is a game with Corbett. It's kind of, it's kind of addictive, but I'm also kind of ticked off that this is yet another Square Enix port to the PC, which hasn't quite been optimized enough so that in many spaces that are fairly large environments, it it looks and feels like I'm kind of swimming through water instead of running. I'm moving slower than I should. It takes too damn long. There are occasional spots where the voices and the actions don't match because the sound is coming out a little faster than it should. And I bought this machine just a year ago. It is not out of date. That, I guess that's just how Square Enix works because... Square Enix can't be bothered to do what 
many Western developers do, which is make sure that the that the thing can run fine, even if your gear setup isn't the optimal in every regard. Well, uh, you know, lots of the Japanese devs aren't very good at that, but let's not forget that uh, Bethesda is not very good at that either. <laughs> it's not exclusive to Japanese, although they do tend to be worse than the American dev, the Western devs. Don't lump all the uh, Western developers into the good pile. No, no. There, there are some bad ones there, too. I'm, I'm making a generalization. I fully admit that. But my other main experience on PC with Square Enix was Final Fantasy XIII, which also yeah. played very badly with sound that frequently did not stay in tune with the visuals, and that's annoying to me. That's very bothersome. Mm. Especially when these games tend to have big, long cutscenes where... People will say stuff, and then I have to wait for the actions to be carried out before the stupid scene will end. So, I can confidently predict a very mixed review of Final Fantasy XVS, Mobius, Exalata Ding Dong, whatever its freaking subtitle is. It doesn't even say what the title is on Steam. It just says World Final Fantasy. Maximum, (laughs) there it is. Maximum, oh, there you go. See, I have to look and see that, oh, I have the World of Final Fantasy Maxima upgrade installed for DLC. That's how I know what I'm playing. And that's what I've been playing lately. But I feel like Phil, in particular, really wants to hear all about Aquaman. Because this is a very important movie. We haven't had a DC full-length movie with a huge budget for over a year. And it's for Aquaman. This is very important. <laughs> well, I must be, because I've had friends gushing about it. Well, you know you have to see it, Phil, because at the very beginning, when it's flipping through, there's a quick Green Lantern image. You have to see it now, right? Green Lantern? Yeah! Yeah, Green Lantern! Thumbs up! Oh yeah, that last movie was so awesome, I can't <laughs> wait to see more of him! It was so great that it was, that Green Lantern was in the Justice League movie, right? Oh yeah. The main character? Yeah. Wasn't he front and center? He was right next to Superman? Yeah. Uh, yeah, when they revived Superman, uh, they revived Green Lantern, too. He was right Makes sense. Oh, oh, wait, I think I'm describing the uh, the strange dream version Justice League that I actually wanted to see instead of what we actually got. So anyway, we've got an Aquaman movie, people. It looks as if at least $150 million was into an Aquaman I just... I just feel like that should be left to stand as a statement. <laughs> Hundreds of millions of dollars were put into an Aquaman movie. It, it is really something else when you think about it, because he was really the butt of every of all the jokes, right? Like, I mean, of all the members of the Justice League cartoons and whatever have you, outside of maybe Robin, you couldn't think of another <laughs> second-string character that you're like, why in the hell are you on this team again? Um yeah, he's, oh, well, I'm I'm in control of the, uh, you know, my kingdom reaches all the waters of the earth. That's 60, 70% of the earth. It's a 60, 70% no one cares about. There's a huge trash <laughs> heap out in the middle of Pacific. No one seems to care. You know, I like. To get on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sorry. I mean, that just, it was like Namor. I remember Namor, you know, was in a bunch of early comics. And then later on, it's like, oh, he's a mutant and he'd be part of the X-Men team. It's like, I don't care about Namor. Give me Hulk. Give me Thing. Give me the other strong guys. He's supposed to be one of the strong guys. Who cares? He's got little wings on his feet. He's in the water most of the time. Go away. I don't know. It's just me. Well, Phil, Aquaman actually attempts to deal with that 
by having his half-brother, who's not Aquaman, create a gigantic tidal wave that sweeps all the garbage out of the ocean and onto and shorelines of, it looks like, the entire Atlantic region. Nice! Okay. Including right. a lot of warships, so you get to see that an air carrier... Well, it's about time they did something about the trash in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. And then someone is actually speaking on TV. Could this mean that there are people under the sea? I don't know if this is enough information. What could it mean that all of this crap that we've been dumping into the oceans for decades has just been thrown back onto the shore? I, I don't sense an intelligent hand in it at all. Just a coincidence. Mm-mm. It sounds like some of the script writers of EDF, which I'll be talking about on my turn. Yeah, th- there are some things that are just brought up and forgotten later in Aquaman. Like the fact that the climax, well, sort of the climax, it takes place at the Earth's core, where there appear to be pteranodons and other dinosaurs roaming around. And you see that for about 15 seconds before nobody ever mentions it again. I don't know why. <laughs> Journey to the center of the Earth? I liked that. That was a good premise. Let's reference that, maybe, and then do nothing with it. Yeah. What a great use of the five million or so dollars that it animate that stuff. Because this is, it's all CG, of course, but mm. it's some pretty good CG. People spend a lot of money on this movie. Like that part when Aquaman is rushing a Russian nuclear sub up to the surface on his back. That was that was very integral to the story. Well, yeah. Or especially that part when he and his brother, half-brother, are fighting underwater. And later when they fight again out of the water. Surrounded by lots of very impressive special effects. I could talk about the Aquaman movie for a while, but I feel like that would be derailing us even further. So, Phil. You sure Aquaman just isn't like a derailment to like good, all the good superhero movies that are constantly coming out now? You know, what's interesting here is that I would say Aquaman is definitely better than Batman v Superman and probably Justice League. Hmm. Now, I'm not going to make any connection here between those movies having been directed by Zack Snyder and this one being directed by James Wan, who has directed some good movies in the past, and Zack Snyder has directed um, the Dawn of the Dead remake, I guess? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I remember thinking Watchmen was an impressive piece of work, but also it kind of missed the entire point of Watchmen. <laughs> but, oh, I, oh, of course, Man of Steel. Now, that was a great effort. Everyone thought that was the best representation of Superman we've ever had, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, just really brought home the humanity, the character, you know, just everything that, you know, we've come to know and love from the Band of Steel in the last 40 or 50 years. He just epitomized it. And how else do we get oil anymore? You need to have Superman working on an oil rig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how else would we know that Superman cares about people? Than by having him and Zod go slam each other around in the ruins and kill hundreds of other people in those ruins before Zod might incinerate a couple more people we've never seen before. Well, you know, Talk it's called stakes. it's it's called tough love. Okay, sometimes you just need a little tough love. Tough love hurts sometimes, Mike. I think that is absolutely correct. It's all about tough love. But. I also feel as if talking about the DC Extended Universe in film may be a slight derailment. 
Hey, we don't call this. I'm sure Phil would love to talk about the Green Lantern movie some more. Yeah, well, you know, we don't call this. We don't call this uh, the the, the kitchen sink for nothing. So, speaking of, you know, off the rails, uh, I actually did a write up for RP Gamer that wasn't an RPG. (laughs) (laughs) Not even by our site, somewhat liberal definition. Uh, So, I did a write up for Earth Defense Force Five. I asked the uh, the aforementioned Alex. How in the heck did we get a review copy for this? We're a role-playing site. And he's like, well, they sent it to me with a bunch of other, you know, codes. And you're talking about their defense force a lot. So here you go. If you want to do a write-up, I'd love to give it to you. I'm like, hell yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) speaking of bad writing and bad lines, if you never played Earth Defense Force, uh, any of the Earth Defense Force games... They are games that feel like you're playing through a B-rate movie where gigantic insects and bugs and aliens are taking over the Earth. And they're third-person horde uh, horde shooters. Just waves and waves of these big things that you're just going to have to shoot them. And you've got fun and different and wacky-ass unbalanced weapons to do it. There's no balancing of weapons here. I mean, you know, like, play Borderlands. Uh, you get a weapon, and, and this weapon might do fire damage. It might be 10% more range or 10% more damage. No, no, an Earth Defense Force, you get, suddenly you pick up, you got missiles that will fire at a distance and explode, but now you've just picked up the tortoise missile, and you look at it, your jaw hits the ground when you see the, the area of effect and the, the zeros behind the damage it does. But then you realize that under speed, it's like a tur- it's a turtle. It when it moves through the air, it goes so slow to the monster. You're wondering how in the hell is it even staying floating up in the air? You know, because it's just it's about the speed of a man walking. But if it gets there, boys and girls, oh boy, is that an explosion? And so you ask yourself, can I make this weapon work? Uh, Earth Defense Force has all this stuff going for it. Four different classes with the uh, with the ranger who is your basic you know, ground trooper, like most third person, third person shooters you played. He has the widest variety of weapons. He has a good health pool. Uh, he can quickly dodge and roll around. You got the wing diver who, is, who does the most damage as your proverbial glass cannon and is the most mobile in the fact that she can fly around for, for short periods of time. Uh, but her weapons require extra management because they key off the same energy tank that, uh, does her flying. And if you run out, the whole thing shuts down and you're essentially defenseless for a good 10 seconds. So you have to manage it well if you don't want to get eaten. Uh, she also has the smallest health pool. You have the Lancer, who is your tank guy. He's got shields. He can carry dual weapons, which is a lot. Is very, very cool because he can have both. He can have two machine guns firing at the same time or two shotguns. Or he can have a shield in one hand to help deflect some of the enemy damage to make up for the fact that he does not dodge very well. And then you have the Air Raider, who calls in these massive airstrikes. You can just call one right after the other that can wipe out you know groups of aliens and ants if they're placed correctly plus he can call down support vehicles for the other people to jump into like a gigantic helicopter with multiple guns that your friends can jump in and fire off the guns while you float above the aliens in relative safety uh there's just things like that and, and it's constantly tipped you go "Ooh, that sounds broken really a helicopter that can float above aliens who can't fly that that just sounds completely broken but you get in it and you find out okay 
okay, controls are really tough. The thing's only got so much fuel. It's only got so much ammunition. Eventually, you have to come down. But uh, on certain maps, and some, a lot of the enemies have ranged attacks. That can still be a problem. But uh, but it's fun to see what you can get away with in certain boards. That thing will help you cakewalk right through stuff. And as you play the game, you get loot boxes. That uh, that in earlier defense forces would just unlock new weapons here and there, but in this game can actually upgrade your old weapons. Uh, so it's really really cool. The loot system in this game has been refined uh, and is a definitive improvement over the last game, which was Earth Defense Force 4.1. You, it is just a lot of fun. I did a full write up. You can check it out, RP Gamer. I'm a huge fan of Earth Defense Force. It's a fun. You can play that solo, and it's bounce well for solo. And it's just a hoot. You can also play a co op with your friends on your PlayStation 4, uh, and it's super fun when you do that. And you guys are getting each other's back, and you're screaming as you're you know dying or you're dead and you're hoping your friend can clear out the ants and come and 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 resurrect you uh but it's it's just it's just an absolute blast Uh, so uh that's earth defense force five it's 60 dollars. i love these games i buy them brand new uh and and highly recommend it if if you're not 100 percent sure other than watching some youtube videos and seeing how the gameplay is to see if it's for you uh you can also pick up earth defense 4.1 which was the prior one there's not a huge difference five is definitely a better game uh they've tweaked it enough but if you look at the graphics, you look at the gameplay, you're not going to see something that jumps out to you. Only people who played the series before is like, oh, wow, this feels better, feels smoother, or man, I'm really glad they bounced these loot tables. They've also given the classes a bit of a, uh, uh, you know, a bit of a buff, so to speak. The Ranger can now call in some support vehicles like the Air Raider can. Uh, the the um, the Wing Diver can now boost forward in the middle of her flight to get further distance faster and save fuel. So... Uh, it's just little quality of life improvements, pickup radiuses, things like that. But you can go back and play 4.1, and it's 20 bucks. It's not on the winter sale. That's its retail price right now if you want to try it out first before you, you invest the $60 into the series. But uh, I, I started with 4.1 based on a recommendation of a friend. I got hooked, and I went back and bought Earth Defense Force, I think it's 2017. And I forget what the older one beside that one is on the Vita. And having those in a pommy head, now they're very old. They look like PlayStation 2 games, uh, maybe even early PlayStation 2 games. But just having that in the palm of your hand and just killing out some aliens here and there, the missions tend to be pretty brief, and especially in the older games. So it's it's a, it's a crap ton of fun. But going to the comment earlier about, you were saying, Mike, about some of the, 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 the lines in Aquaman, and they're like, hey, we think there's might be some intelligence behind this. One of the things that makes Earth Defense Force so, so much fun is the B-rate lines that are in this game. We're taking a tour of the facility in the first mission, and you're like a citizen. And he's like, citizen, welcome to Earth Defense Force. I'm going to show you around. He starts walking, and one of the guys comes away from the other side. There's there's big aliens and monsters, and oh my god, they got Bob! And, the, and your guy walking with you is like, don't worry about that. People around here are joking all the time. <laughs> you open up a room, and it's full of these gigantic black ants. He's like, oh, maybe we should do something about this. Uh... Later on, you're still a citizen and you're, you know, as you're trying to fight off these bugs because no matter where you go, they keep telling you they're going to take you to someplace safe. But everywhere they take you, there's a bunch more bugs. You have to help them beat them up. And and they're trying to talk you in and they're like, you need to join Earth Defense Force, man. This is the best job on Earth when there's no monsters around. As they're saying that, there's like 800 ants headed your way. You know, just like (laughs) then later on, you fight some gigantic frogs and the guys are freaking out on your team and like, Oh my gosh, these new aliens, they got two legs, 
two arms, two eyes. They're just like us. They're they're gigantic humans, and they're gonna wipe us out. And you're like, dum dum. It's a frog. It's a huge frog. But it's really hilarious. At no point in the game will these guys actually call these things ants and insects. They keep saying like the big spiders that are throwing out threads are like it's a new monster that throws out dangerous threads. We'll call this monster beta. It's like no, it's a giant freaking spider. It's hilarious. It's just so much fun. I can listen to those all day long, and it, it just it's it's a blast to play. Uh, so uh, check those out. And hey, er, I was looking at Earth Defense Force four point one nine hundred eighty seven ratings on PSN, which we know is a great rating scale, a five star out of five stars. It is really really fun. I mean, if you're going to rate it from IGN, you're going to give it a seven out of ten because the graphics. You know, the low resolution, the textures, the whatever have you. But that's one of the things that makes the game so fun. Because the graphics are on the lower end, the PlayStation 4 can throw a ton of ants at you, a ton of spiders at you, with alien spaceships all shooting at you with glowing uh, rays and bolts and graphical effects. And this is all going on at the same time. And there's only, you know, out of that whole game, there's probably maybe three places where the frame rate really takes a hit. Uh, it, it, it's it's just so much going on there. And the, the environments are completely destructible. If you bring a grenade launcher, you throw it into a, a building, that thing will crash down all around you. And that can open up tactical, you know, possibilities. It's just, who cares about tactical possibilities? It's just fun as shit to blow up a bunch of buildings, you know, <laughs> after a long day of work and then kill the ants that were hiding behind them. Uh, it's just it's just a lot of fun. And definitely, you know, for, for veterans of 4.1, Five is definitely, uh, you know, a step up. It's just enough to, to refresh it and feel a little bit different uh, without reinventing the series. I remember there was Earth Defense Force Insect Armageddon, which you can get for a few bucks off of Steam. That That is an official Earth Defense Force game. You wouldn't know it by looking at, like, the logo or playing it. It's a total different UI. Uh, it doesn't have the campy lines. It takes itself too seriously. But he, the graphics are a lot better on that one than the Earth Defense Force, especially uh, games, especially of that time. But in playing that, I played through it once. I never touched it again. It was short. And, and and But what was really a downer for me was, yeah, it had better graphics, but there would only be like 12 or 18 or maybe two dozen ants coming at you at one time. And it didn't help the game was taking itself too seriously. Whereas, you know, it, and the weapons were kind of too balanced. You know, they all felt kind of samesy. Whereas in Earth Defense Force, you know, four or five, it's 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 thousands i mean not thousands but it literally seems like there's a hundred answers you know there are some of these boards are really big with with probably t- you know around a hundred monsters on them uh at a time and plus more will be spewing out when you kill those guys it's insane it's insane but it's a fun kind of insane because you got really powerful weapons to work with and and a lot of times when you're struggling with the board just changing out your strategy changing to a different weapon will make all the difference um so there's my sales pitch for Defense Force. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, we like to talk about sales sometimes. And I went through the PlayStation while you guys were talking. I went through the winter sale. Picked out, picked out some, 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 some personal recommendations for our people who are listening real quick. Suikoden is, there's a number of Suikoden games on there, including the famous Suikoden, what was it, 2? I believe that was super, two. super yeah. expensive. Yeah, yeah, on eBay. You can pick that up for I, I can't remember the price off the top of my head. I just wrote down a quick note, but it was like it was like five five ninety nine. It's on sale, you know. So so but we could do Phil, one. I thought you all of our listeners we know demand that they be the physical copies in the best possible condition. 
How much is that going to run you? I, you know, I, I like, that's a great question. I'm going to look it up right now because I, <laughs> you know, I used to think that when they they would release an electronic version of the game that that would bring down the the, the price. But nope, here we go. So we get a two complete with mint case, two hundred dollars plus shipping. <laughs> plus shipping. We're not gonna throw in that shipping for two hundred dollars. Dang it, you're gonna pay that extra five bucks of shipping. So of course. Yeah, of course. We're gonna so, give you a very nice mailer that cost us sixty cents. So we get a two tested and used one eighty four ninety five, trending at two oh four ninety seven. So, yeah, collectors will still be collectors. I've learned that the digital editions does not dissuade collectors. Uh, and when I looked this up back when I was looking to collect it, it was 80 bucks. So now it's more than double that. Uh, but then I saw, oh, I was super excited when they announced this electric edition. And I paid whatever the full price was at the time. But now you can pick it up on sale. An excellent, excellent classic RPG. You can play that, I believe, on your Vita, maybe your PS3, maybe. You take a look on the story. I'll tell you what you can play it on. Uh, we have Rainbow Moon, which was the predecessor yeah, you know, to you know the what? excellent you know what, Phil, Rainbow Skies. I was, I was interested in Legend of Dragoon, and I kept uh-huh. looking at it, and I can't play it on my Vita. You <laughs> suck, Sony. Stupid Sony. Yeah, you definitely got to check those tags. Uh, I know Rainbow Moon and Rainbow Skies are both on uh, sale. Uh, Rainbow Moon was only three bucks. Rainbow, and the, this, by the way, this is all the all these are with the. Any extra discount from PlayStation Plus because that's the way it shows up in my basket. Um, and Rainbow Skies was only fifteen bucks. And, and and given all the hours Mr. Minky got out of it, I would definitely think Rainbow Skies is definitely worth the fifteen dollars well, asking see. price. Yeah, at fifteen dollars, then that means I put in uh, maybe twenty. No, how many hours was it? Uh, five hundred. 20 30 520 so it was 2.9 cents an hour if you pay 15 bucks i'd say that's pretty good value for your money people that's that's good value so definitely i had to put those onto my little list here for people tons of final fantasy game games on sale final fantasy tactics one of my favorite uh, tactical rpgs is 499 uh horizon zero okay let me guess phil Final Fantasy X-2 is on sale because you, that that gives you a, a reason to start singing again. What can you I know, do so for you? That's the only reason you brought it up. That's the only reason you brought it up. You can get the Final Fantasy X-2 uh, remaster for uh, $12.49. That's the HD remaster and you get to listen to the full song instead of just my quick one-liner. What can I do for you? <laughs> now, I can't remember. Did, did the, did Final Fantasy X in this version finally have that extra content that was thrown into the uh, international version in Japan and then we never got? Hmm, that's a good I question. I believe it did, yeah. It had the uh, the, the, the international job sphere. Oh, yes, it does. It says, thing. Yes, yeah. Yeah. it says it here. Uh, HD version includes remaster, rearrange, background music, international edition content, trophies, and cross-save functionality. And did it have the dub redone? <laughs> Probably not. No, of course not, because how could you ever improve on ha, ha, ha? Oh, there goes the mic volume. <laughs> there it goes. There, there it went. There it went. Well, I, I wasn't going to improve on that scene. There's no way it can be done. But there are other scenes. What is there, eight, nine hours of voice content in that game that you, you could probably redo with a little more experience under your belt and say – Maybe give Yuna somebody who has actually worked before instead of sounds 
kind of bored most of the time. Mm. Uh, we have uh, the very excellent Horizon Zero Dawn uh, for only 13 and change. I can't recommend that enough. I paid the full price plus extra for the DLC. I don't regret it. It was it was just so so much fun. Love the combat system. The story was pretty good. Carried uh, you know, but uh, uh, and, and I love the DLC and. I would do it again. If they, they said Horizon Zero Dawn 2 is out tomorrow, I would plunk down another 60 bucks. But here you can get the entire game with the DLC for $13. If you have not played this and you own a PlayStation 4, uh, there is absolutely zero excuse not to jump on that deal uh, and make that happen. That is a really, really fun game. Uh, Final Fantasy... Oh, well, I already mentioned Final Fantasy games, but I did write down Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age because that is one of my favorite ones on the list, and that one... That is uh, $25. So uh, it's going to be more than your other Final Fantasy games, but it is a more recent re-release and certainly is more than 10 to. Uh, anyways, and then, of course, uh, Child of Light, $749, su- or $599 with PS Plus. It's super, super fun, cute, and it's, it rips on one of the, or uses one of the, my favorite battle systems, the Grandia Battle System. Uh, but very beautiful, fun game. It's on your PS4. You can also, I think, get it for the Vita, which Team Handheld is super awesome on the Vita. Oh, yeah, so, I played cool. it Vita on the Vita. That was fun. Yeah, yeah super, super fun. Uh, we mentioned the Muramasa Rebirth Collection, so go out and grab that. And then last but not least, just a reminder, Mary Skelter Nightmares is on sale yes. for $8. Yes. Do it. Do it. And let us know if it's a good idea or a bad idea when you play it. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Mary Skelton ni- oh, uh, Nightmares. Uh, I'm looking at a screenshot. And oh yeah, there's a little blood counter. So don't forget to lick that off before it gets filled up. Because bad things happen. Uh, yeah. So, anywho. We'll, we'll hear more from Mike on that game soon. I feel like. That's, that's going to be a thing. So, uh, that's that's my quick roundup. And what kind of a pretty- time frame do you have on- my on the no doubt ample word that I'm supposed to be buying regarding Mary Skelter. You know, I know you got a couple other things in the pipeline, Mike. I, I totally get it. I'll just remind you every once in a while. You know, just just see where you're at on that, Chief. Oh no, that means I'll have to stop playing the third birthday. Oh jeez. Mm. Uh, what bet did you lose? Right. Yeah. Uh, you in fantasy football or something? What was it? I it was off the PSN store for a while, then it popped back on. I definitely don't want to have to go find a physical copy, so I'll get it on PSN and then uh I ended up that I was actually playing it. I don't remember right now. I think I was just randomly picking okay, what haven't I played yet? Okay, I'll try this. And it's something. It sure is something. Oh I my gosh. It is on the store. Nine ninety nine. He's got four and a half stars. Wow. Now, you, now you have to get it, Phil. Oh my gosh, I think I've discounted the whole, hey, look, EDS five out of five stars. <laughs> Shoot. Oh my gosh, I might actually go to Metacritic now. Holy cow. How can uh, you go without getting it now, Phil? Uh, uh, you need the third birthday in no, your life. Now that is one birthday that you just, uh, you don't want to need <laughs> yeah, that cake. You just want to pass that one up. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Jeez. Uh, who comes up with this stuff? I can't believe they actually still got Square that in the store. Of course they do. Of course. I think uh, Tetsuya Nomura is all over this one, too. 
Let's see here. It is got third. Uh, third birthday has a seventy-one on Metacritic, a six-point-one user score. Hmm. Surprise! It was that high. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Uh. Hmm. Oh, whoa! Uh, you were looking at the ratings on the PSN store. The, I was look, you know, on the PSN store. It's got four and a half stars on Metacritic. It's seventy-one uh, critic and sixty-one user. I'm looking at the PSN store. There's a thousand and forty-eight ratings. That's Isn't not that just a say? small. That, that's no. not a small sample size. No. Wow. No, but but Mike will be happy to know because now we've totally discounted. He's probably a little concerned now because we told him Mary Mary Skelter was doing so well on there. So uh, Metacritic Metacritic says seventy-eight. Uh, Mary's Skelter Nightmares eight point seven user score based on thirty one ratings. That's Look at okay. that! Look at that! That's yeah. way what, higher. Well, what about this? That sounds like a good idea. Site, which <laughs> I just that? linked because it has two whole paragraphs full of crossed out text, and I have no idea why that would be in a finished review that is still published. Oh, I read this one. I actually read this before I bought it. They forgot a game mechanic. They complained about a game mechanic, and then after posting it and having a complaint about the game mechanic, oops, there was a, something I screwed up in the game. <laughs> that, that mechanic I complained about not being there was there. I actually read this review before. Oh, okay. That's why they crossed it out, but they left it there to basically like, oops, sorry, about yeah. what he corrected me on. Hmm. Oh, of course, Phil, I forgot. We both have seen the wonderful video on Empress Teresa now, haven't we? Hmm. You remember Empress Teresa, that truly spectacular novel with a with a writer who loudly and continually tries to berate anyone who dares say that he might not have written the greatest thing in history. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking of great writing because that seemed to be what we were discussing. Yeah. Here's, uh, hmm. Mm-mm-mm. Earth Defense Force 4.1 got a 64 <laughs> on Metacritic. I'm, now I'm in the Metacritic source. That is horrible. It is a really awesome game. It deserves much better than that. It is so much fun. Go play it. Well, I came back around to Sam's third birthday, which is what I remembered, and it got a two and a half out of five. She was in a good mood. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Goodness gracious. Uh, hey, hey, hey. Oh, hey, in the review. Oh, now I'm back at that RPG site review, whatever. And there's a bunch of things crossed out. That's what we were just discussing. Oh, sorry. I was, <laughs> my brain was in. That. <laughs> but how could you do that? Like, why wouldn't you just edit it? Why would you, like, literally cross it out so people could still read it? Oh, they, there's a mea culpa. I did it. I said that. I'm not ashamed. I, Thanks for I, Oh, I, I guess so. Oh, the ability to save. I, I thought I could save, but then again, I only played it for a hot minute, so maybe I forgot. Anywho. Uh, uh, you could save. The person writing the review did not know that. Uh, I, I'm not going to criticize. That That's one of my great fears is that I'm going to criticize, you know, take a game to task and then realize, like, oh, I was just an idiot and didn't didn't realize something. Oh, crap. I, exactly. I I've that. done that before. I've been I've done that before in games, totally. Usually you I, figure it out after, like, 20 hours and you're like, how did I not realize this before? <laughs> but I'm always afraid I'll make it to the end and not, not figure something important out. I'm pretty critical. I I did that. I, the turn things every third or fourth turn you get stronger and you can do better attacks and there's a little bar that counts up and everything for that under every character yeah I, 
I think I was an hour 12. <laughs> and that game's like, what, 15 hours, so. Yeah. You know. Yep. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty critical of a game when, you know, there's a wall that I hit and I have to go look up something in FAQs. I abhor looking stuff up in FAQs. It should be pretty clear in your game how something works. If you got instruction manual, I probably should have read that, but. We're in the 21st century, and most of the stuff should just be in the game or be pretty intuitive. Or, heaven forbid, you got like hidden shiz that I have to find in order to progress in the game. That just pisses me off. But if I go and I look at an FAQ, sometimes I'll look at those and go, like, oh, well, no dush, or like somebody did say this to me, or hey, I missed this obvious. And then I can't hold it against again because I've done that kind of stuff before plenty of times. Since we are on track to make this final lap one of the longest ones ever, in order to keep our podcast as long as possible, of course. I'd like to take a minute to mention, you know, one of the things I've been kind of looking at on the side. Uh, so I've never played the Fantasy Star series. Uh, I didn't grow up with the Genesis. I did get to play Shining Force on my friend's Genesis, but that was about it. And I know that's kind of like the final fantasy of the Genesis system. I did buy, I forget what it's called, like the Sega Collection or something for the PlayStation 4. And one of the reasons I bought it is because it had Fantasy Star 2, 3, and 4 on it. It does bug, it bug me a bit. It doesn't have the first one there. I could always emulate it, but I was kind of hoping there was a more, you know, kind of official way to play it. And the neat thing about that Sonic or whatever it is, Sega Collection, is it does have some cool features on it, like being able to rewind and, you know, do instant saves. Not that emulators don't have that, but it, it just it seemed like a really cool way to play the game. But it didn't have the first one. So I did a bit of research, and there's different, like, Sega or Sonic collections out there, and one of them, like, on the PlayStation 3, does have the first game as kind of like an unlockable. I didn't know if I really wanted to jump through all of those hoops uh, just to get that one game. But digging a little bit deeper, I found out there are some uh, games that are coming out on the Switch that are uh, that I forget exactly what they're called. But uh, essentially, they're kind of taking a number of Genesis or, you know, that, those types of games. It's called Sega Ages Games. And they're, they're re-releasing these with some, some basic, basic upgrades to them. Uh, a lot of the games that they're talking about bringing out to the Switch through this method doesn't really interest me. But the first Fantasy Star happens to be one of them. So if you look up Sega Ages Fantasy Star for the Nintendo Switch... Uh, you are you're going to pay a few bucks here. I think it was like seven bucks, eight bucks, and you're playing the Fantasy Star, but it's got some interesting upgrades, even better upgrades than the Sega Collection I mentioned uh, earlier. It's kind of a totally different product, really, but it has it's still as you're walk as you're walking through the Overland or you're in the dungeons or whatever, you're still seeing those original graphics. But you've you got two different types of sounds you can use. Like one's the master system, and the other one is something else. I don't remember, but uh, you know you can. Uh, they're two different bit sound chipsets from the past, which is really cool. Uh, they have uh, auto mapping on the side, which is absolutely invaluable, and it's a nice quality of life improvement for the modern audience. Uh, it's got some like modern UI elements, like where your hit points for your party are listed over on the right, rather than maybe just being listed at the bottom, I think is where normally you'd see those, you know, your hit points in Fantasy Star, which declutters the screen a little bit where you're looking at the monster. But it's really, really, it's really pretty cool. It's pretty neat, the upgrades they've done here. And it's definitely worth for the, the few extra bucks that they're asking for that, that maybe you would get it if it's part of a collection. It would only be like one or two bucks. 
But uh, you might want to go and check that out. It definitely has me interested, and I'm not going to be doing it this year. 2019 is the year of The Witcher, and I'm very busy. But, uh, you know, uh, eventually I do want to sit down and play the series. And when I do, I'm going to start with Fantasy Star on my Switch, the Sega uh, Ages deal. So go and check that out and let me know what you think. Write me off a comment if you find that uh, pretty cool as well. Uh, okay. I, now, there's something I just looked for in World of Final Fantasy, and I can't find a way to do it. And there's nothing in the instructions about how to do it, which is how to freaking organize the items. I they thought... Just, I thought you were going to say, I finally found how to shrink their heads and make them look normal. Yes! <laughs> no, that is clearly part of the very vital aesthetic that it's going for. But I don't know. Why would I ever want to have, say, the high potion, which I'm using, curing all the time, not be in the freaking 12th line of the item menu that I have to pull down to every time? And no, I can't change it. It's there forever. Hmm. That's, that's kind of frustrating. Yeah, that's that's um, not something I am inclined to forgive in this day and age. So you can look forward to my displeasure eventually, Square Enix. Sweet. I'm, I'm sure it matters very much to you. I'm going to be super excited if somehow World of Final Fantasy gets a lower rating than Mary Skelter. Is <laughs> <laughs> when, when a bad idea factory game is scoring better than Squeenix. What does he like less? 90% of the body mass heads? Or blood licking. Blood licking. Here. Head size or blood licking. Yeah. Uh, poor item organization or oh, repetitive yeah. dungeon crawling. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Assets to this. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, Alrighty. Well, we should probably uh, we should probably wrap this up. Uh, if we keep going, we're going to run right into episode 199 next thing you know. We'll be doing our 200th anniversary <laughs> celebration show. So uh, we're, we're still trying to figure out what 199 is. Yeah. Is it Legend of Dragoon? Is it Kingsfield? Is it something else? I'm trying to get people together, and it's just not working so far. <laughs> you have to pick a more popular game, Mike. Why don't you do like Demon Souls again or something? People love those kinds of games. Star Tropics. I'm just pulling that out of my head. Hmm. I, I can play those after I finish World of Final <laughs> Fantasy because that's the thing I'm supposed to be reviewing right now. It is my responsibility to let you all know that RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your home and source for news reviews and home to the best gaming community on the net. Check it all out. We got we got lots of fun things for you to read uh, read over there. And unlike IGN, we actually play our games to completion. And we actually like role-playing <laughs> games, so we're probably people who... You know, are, are yeah, the right ones to be or, talking about. Or, in them. the rare case when we don't play it to completion, we let you know. Yeah, yeah, we just don't, yeah. If it's oh. something like, what was it, Operation Darkness, where Adrian did not finish it, uh. he was upfront about that. Yeah, but, there are beat us. Yep. There, or, there are very limited instances where you game finished. <laughs> right. And, and we are very upfront about those. So you'll want to go check that. You can read more. Uh, we got uh, Mike Minky's review of Muramasa Rebirth. We have an interview with Heretic Operative. We got the uh, the, the Air Defense Force by Rhoda I mentioned. We got a review on Aktong Cthulhu Tactics and an impression on She Dreams Elsewhere, that demo that's out, as well as a write-up on 30 Years of Toriyama and uh, some thoughts there. So you can check that out. It's all by a staff. That, what's that? I said that's a good book. I got that for my kids for yeah, yeah Toriyama art book. I mean, I wish it had a little bit more to it, but for kids who can't read anyway and love Dragon Quest, 
it was great. Yeah, we'll start them off young. Get them into it yet with a nice pretty picture book. So check that all over at rpgamer.com. As I mentioned before, you can leave us your comments. You can do that always on the most recent show, please. We don't go back and read the comments on the old shows, even though we know some people are sitting back there doing that per uh, binge listening thing. Always leave your comments on the most recent show. Or, better yet, you can always do a direct tweet or tweet us at jcservant at jumason at rpgamer. One of us will pick up on it, and we'll be happy to get that read on the show. Or come into Discord. We have a Discord channel. You can find the details on our website and our community. We would love to chat with you. We're chatting with people every day there, uh, talking about our favorite RPGs. So come and hang out with us. Uh, But with all that being said, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to let Mr. Miki put us to bed. I think everybody should do well to just go get on a starship and take a flight off into space and keep going for a while to better emulate the experience of Starflight. Good night. Always smiling, ever quiet, ever tender. And I, a lost child, always frightened. I remember that you came. And found me blinded by unshed tears. The tears we cry are echoes that tell. Fingers, let
Red skies on the desert are the blood in a rain.